Good hello. Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brad. And this episode, warm up your oscilloscope tubes because it's... Greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in Brent, can you hear me? Brent, where'd you go, man? Brent, where are you? Ah! Duck and cover, Brent! Especially for, for millennials and Gen Z and going down younger and younger people now. Are you hearing this, Brent? Yeah, what's going on? Is that your cat? Well, I just violated my own value. Who will decide who forever will be the champion? Whoa. I think we're in the clear. Are you there? Dude, what is going on here? What the hell was that? I don't know, man. Because it's SST-233. The Negative Land Jamcon 84 cassette. And boy, oh boy, are we in for a wild ride. I'm not even sure we're going to make it through this episode, but uh, here's hoping. And Brent, we've got some amazing special guests. Yeah, we've got Mark Hosler and the Weatherman on the show. Wow. And what a cool interview. Everyone is going to hear this for themselves, but, you know, we've had a bunch of really, really unique releases on the show, especially this year, I would say, like, you know, releases that you don't typically expect from SST, right? Like if you're thinking about, you know, the so-called golden age Mm -hmm. of SST, you know, anti-folk, string quartets, we've done everything uh, except this, this year. We did go, we did have Escape from Noise like a hundred episodes ago, but wow, this is, uh, this is quite the episode. And it's, is this our second last one of the year? Yeah, man. Oh, dude. This is like, uh, what do you call this? Is this the prequel? This is the prequel to the last episode. I guess it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or the second last episode. Yeah. Or the second last episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm calling it the prequel to the last episode. So let me just check in. Have you changed your mind or are we doing our SS tree roundup this episode? It's the roundup. I was really worried that you were going to do the old switch-o-change-o on me again, but uh, all right. So how do you want to do this? We're going to cover all of the releases from 2022 for artists on the SS tree that at least we have caught track of. And there's no way we've caught all of them. Mm -hmm. No, I I fully expect people to let us know which ones we missed. And please do. Please do. Okay, well, I'll get us started, Ryan. Whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. I got to... You're always inflicting the rules on me. I got to check in on one rule here for this one, too. Mm-hmm. What if one of the SS Tree releases, or maybe several of the SS Tree releases, are going to be on our top 10s? I'm breezing next past week? them. You're not going to talk about SS Tree releases that are on your top 10 next week. I'm going to breeze past them. Breeze past them. Yep. So you're still going re- to mention That's them. That's right. But you're going to mention them. Okay. Yep. Okay. Because your omission would be very revealing. Well, yeah, so is what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you're you going to go for it, and I'll uh, back clean up. Okay. 
Paul Rossler. We'll start there. Uh, also a podcast shout out. He was recently on Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal, yep. talking for two hours about his entire career in music. It's a great interview. Uh, he briefly touches on his new album, The Turning of the Bright World. I've said this before, but Paul is known as a sideman, uh, but he deserves recognition as a songwriter and as a vocalist too. Piano is the primary instrument, of course, uh, but this is great singer-songwriter stuff, very lush production. It's, of course, on Kit and Robot, digital and CD. Yeah, and check out his Fluttering Blood Clots record with Greg Hurley as well that came out this year. Mm. Didn't know about that. And uh, Greg Hurley passed away a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Battalion Zoska, this multi-generational Philly hardcore band, has a new CD on their own label, Violated Records, that features Dezo on four of the tracks. Cool. Also not SST related, but interesting nonetheless, Peter Kortner does backing vocals. Ah. Also Des related, he's on another release with John Caspi in the first gun called The Studio 650 Sessions. John's from New Jersey. Um, Des has played with him on earlier records that we've talked about. There's a band camp. This isn't on it, but there is an EP released this year called Raise em High and Other Delights that features both Des and Jesse Mallon of Degeneration. It's solid anthemic rock. Kind of reminds me a bit of uh, that band that we like called The Brandos. Oh, really? Ooh. The Studio 650 release is streaming. It's live in the studio, and they also cover uh, Misfits, Where Eagles Dare, and Black Flag's Nervous Breakdown with Dez on vocals, and Wasted. There's also uh, a surf band from Akron, Ohio, kind of in the vein of Deadbolt, and Dez plays on their new digital single, Never Say Dead. And Des also has his newer band, Dondo, which features Sacron Trust's Rob Holtzman on drums, and they've been playing some shows, so hopefully they make a record. Speaking of surf, there's a killer new eight-song release from Lawndale. They even re-recorded their hit, The Story of Vanna White. As far as I know, it's kind of hard to tell, but I think the core of the band is Jack Skelly on guitar and bass, Dave Childs on drums, Philo Van Dyne on bass, and Joe Biza on guitar. Whoa. Of course, Ryan, there's the amazing new off-record, Free LSD. Uh, The Divine Horseman Crew. We've mentioned uh, Chris's newest book, and I'll expand on it when I get get a chance to read it, hopefully over the the holidays. Writing for Slash, 1977-81, The Know-It-All Years. Julie Christensen has a new album, Eleven from Kevin, Songs of Kevin Gordon, which was a lockdown tribute album to Louisiana artist Kevin Gordon, a singer-songwriter she feels doesn't get the attention he deserves. Hmm. The Volbeats, I'm talking the Detroit band, not the inferior Danish metal rockabilly bullshit band. Uh, This is Matthew Smith of a ton of bands, but mainly Outrageous Cherry, and it features guitarist Peter Andrus. Oh, nice. New one is Lonesome Galaxy on Mad Bunny Records. They've kind of evolved from a rootsy thing to more of a 60s psych band, very similar to Outrageous Cherry, I would say, but it still has some twang to it. This is a killer record, and of course, uh, Peter is just a phenomenal guitarist. Mm Mm-hmm. Oxbow and Peter Brotzman, an eternal reminder of Not Today, live at Moore's, double LP and CD on European label Trost. 
If you're looking for something wild, this is it. They do a 10-minute skronk fest of the SST Serenade in Red track. Uh, no sign of the reissues and the new record that Ipecac announced earlier this year. Right. right. Possibly delayed due to what, Ryan? Uh, Adele's vinyl needs. That's right. Actually, I think it's probably Taylor Swift's vinyl needs now. Could be. Barf. Speaking, though, of delayed reissues, the double LP reissue of Truly's Fast Stories from Kid Coma is out on Aussie label Bang Records. All-time classic, of course, Robert Roth on vocals and guitar, along with Hiro Yamamoto of Soundgarden on bass and Mark Pickerel of Screaming Trees on drums. Yeah. Paper Bag and Greg Siegel, we've talked about a few weeks back. Uh, Improvise My Ass is up on Greg's Bandcamp. Also an album he made in 85 called A Man Who Was There. About a year before The Bag made their SST debut. He sings on that one too. It's a cool rock record. There's also uh, a new avant-garde record that sounds like something we'd hear from E-Sharp or someone uh, from that scene called Derelict. Super interesting stuff from Greg. Check it out. Speaking of E-Sharp, he's continuing his reissue campaign on his band camp. There's 11 albums that went up uh, this year, spanning his whole career. Only? Yeah. <laughs> Check out Irrational Music Volume 3, a performance on his double-neck guitar bass from, from Austria in 1988, uh, You know, th- which he could also tri- trigger samples from. It's wild, man. Uh, also, four new releases from uh, 2022. Uh, Check out The Void Patrol album, Experimental Jazz Rock with Peyton McDonald, Billy Martin, Elliot, and Colin Stetson. Frequent E-Sharp collaborator Bobby Previtt has a number of reissues added to his site, including Nine Tributes, uh, which is really cool. It's his tribute uh, to nine guitarists he's played with. He, he wrote these tributes to Sonny Chirac, Nels Klein, James Blood Almer, E-Sharp, and more, so check that out for sure. Henry Kaiser has at least five releases from 2022, probably more. <laughs> <laughs> Check out an album of guitar duos he did with Anthony Pirog of Aesthetics called Figure Ground on Aussie label Ramble Records. It's up on that label's band camp, Ramble. Steve Fisk is always posting cool and interesting stuff on his SoundCloud page, Steve Fisk Official. Uh, as we referenced last week, Dave Soldier has a wicked album with drummer William Hooker called The LeWitt Etudes on Arkansas label McCollin Music. You can hear it on that label's Bandcamp. Jazz tracks composed by Dave with sections kind of carved out for improvising, uh, performed by a nine-piece ensemble. Desert Rock Supergroup Big Scenic Nowhere released their second album, The Long Morrow, on Heavy Psych Sounds. The SST connection is Bill Stinson, who played in Fast Gatto with Ginn uh, and Scott Reynolds, 10 East with Mario Lally of Fast Gatto. Again, uh, played in that too. The Perfect Rat, on and on and on. And uh, Gary is in almost all of those projects as well. Uh, there's tons more, but you get the idea. Mario also did the artwork on Brant Bjork's excellent 2022 album, Bouja Villain Suite, probably saying that wrong, on Heavy Psych Sounds. Uh, there's also a new stoner album that's called Totally on Heavy Psych. That's Brant Bjork, Nick Oliveri, and Ryan Gutt. Uh, Mario plays on a track and did the artwork for that. And Greg Hetson also plays on a track. Uh, and the liner notes credit Chuck Dukowski uh, with Party March Inspiration. Not sure what that means. 
And then finally from this scene, uh, Fatso Jetson themselves have a split LP on Ripple Music with a band called All Souls. The Fatso side is called Live at Total Annihilation Studios, recorded live in a studio of that name in L.A. Cannot wait to get to Sort of Quartet and Fatso Jetson on the show. Yeah. I won't get too much into this, Ryan, because we talked about it all in recent episodes, but there's some Bad Brains reissues and the Michael Nkrumah album, which features Doc and Daryl, along with Doc Knight and William Banks of HR's band. Uh, HR has been playing lots of shows, uh, releasing the odd digital single, including a track called Easy from a forthcoming album. Uh, he has this merch deal with Trust Records, and if you were on the ball enough to be one of the first hundred people to order a shirt from Trust, there was a... A hundred limit edition HR CDs, apparently a comp with an unreleased track called Positive Vibrations. Yep. Couldn't find a track listing to save my life, so I'm not sure what else is on there. Uh, we do get into some negative land news at the end of the interview, so I'll leave that for, for Mark to lay down. But they do they have some new stuff. Sonic Youth. Uh, Steve uh, was putting up a ton of stuff on their band camp the past few years. He kind of chilled out on that a little bit in 2022. There's uh, two releases, Live in Kiev, a set from 89 that was put up, and it's a benefit for uh, the World Central Kitchen to send relief to Ukraine. Every song but one is from Daydream Nation. Was really hoping we'd be able to buy or stream Lance Bang's 30 Years of Daydream Nation film this year. Like, what's up with these documentaries and stuff that make limited runs in theaters and then don't come out for like five years i don't know i've i've got the same beef man there's like five on my list that i'll i keep checking you know like once a month is it out yet is it out yet yeah Uh, also up on their band camp and issued on cd and lp also uh, which is cool is the in out in rarities comp from the 2000 to 2010 era of sonic youth Thurston has a project called Educated Guess, and they released an EP called Volume 2 on 577 Records. You can hear one of the two tracks on the label's band camp. It's kind of avant-garde improvised jazz. Erica Don Lyle of Bikini Kill, uh, and this artist that I'm not super familiar with named Vice Cooler, uh, released an album called Land Trust, Benefit for Northeast Farmers, of color land trust uh, and there's a bunch of guests on it such as alice bag kelly deal kathleen hannah and also kim gordon and mike watt and there's a video for the track with kim and it's really cool classic kim gordon vocal uh, steve shelley is the drummer for bush tetras replacing depop uh, who passed away in october of last year uh, so hopefully something coming soon from bush tetras and he also released just as this episode is coming out, a physical copy of the Wild Rats album he made with Thurston, Watt, Mark Arm, etc. You can find that on the Wild Rats Bandcamp page. Lee Ronaldo played on a few tracks by this newer psychedelic world music uh, group called Alcazar. It's cool if you're into Goat or something like that, you, you'd really dig it. Fela Kuti maybe. Uh, Biafra is on it too. Uh, Thomas Bellier of Spindrift is the is in the band, so I'm assuming that's kind of the connection there. Mm. Dave Markey and Phil Newman, their pre-painted Willie hardcore band Sin 34, reissued their 1983 debut uh, LP, Do You Feel Safe, on Puke and Vomit slash Smoke 7 Records. The Treacherous Jaywalkers Fun Tape is up on their band camp, and it rules. Uh, There's also an EP on the Spain band camp, 
that's Josh's post TJ group. The EP is called World of Blue. Uh, these are pre Blue Moods tracks. That's their 95 de- debut. And also a vinyl release of that available on Shimmy Disc. Uh, the tracks were actually mixed and mastered by Kramer from Shimmy Disc. Saving the best two for last here for me of kind of the, the tree stuff. I, I have some, some cleanup here, but after these two. The Meat Puppets, live Manchester 2019 on DC Jam Records. It rules. Great jammed out psychedelic versions of classic pups with the expanded lineup. Uh, the LP is a, is a picture disc also. And saved one of the best for last, and that's the long-awaited Ultra Bomb album, Time oh, to yeah. Burn. We haven't talked about this rec- record yet, Ryan, but have you heard it? Uh, we've mentioned it on the show. I have not heard it. Mine is in the mail. Yeah. I, I ordered it, so I haven't listened to it yet. It could have maybe made my top 10, but I haven't heard it well, yet. Just wait till you hear it. Also on uh, uh, DC Jam, that's the super group of Finn McConnell of the Mahones, Jamie Oliver of UK Subs and a bunch of other bands, and Greg Norton. Yeah. It kicks so much ass, Ryan. Greg even sings on a bitchin' cover of Sonic Reducer. Big time Husker Du vibes on this. Uh, yeah. From the songwriting to the lyrics, like, you know, you'll hear little mentions, like one of the lyrics says New Day Rising, for example. Uh, the guitar sounds, the production, just wait till you hear it. Yeah, I need it. Highly I recommended. It. It's coming in the mail. Uh, everyone a couple of weeks ago was saying SST reissued the Stains LP. I don't think SST does reissues. They don't do reissues. They just keep releasing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, diff- different pressings of what they have originally issued, I guess. Right. But so I saw that I saw some posts about it and it looked like it was up for order on the Rev HQ website. And then I saw some comments about it suggesting that it's maybe not a reissue like by another label uh, other than SST, but rather maybe even SST Deadstock. Did hmm. you find out any info on it? No, it seemed to sell out super fast. And I yeah. don't know, I would probably question the source material for the whatever they use to to press it. Yeah. At Who this knows, point. Man. Yeah. Who knows? Okay, just a, a few quick cleanup items here. This is SST adjacent stuff, uh, like Cruise Records. Oh. Martin BC has a new album, Feral Myths, up on his band camp. Craig Abara's band Rig played some shows this year. Thought I'd mention that. There's a Chemical People singles comp on Hey Suburbia Records. And last, Ryan, A Vulture Wake featuring Chad Price of All uh, and Dave Klein, who at some point... Uh, maybe even currently, I don't actually know, uh, played with Black Flag. And they have a new EP called Animal. It's really cool to hear Chad belting it out like that again. Yeah. And I guess Chemical People are actually directly on the tree because Dave Naz was in the last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. For sure. A few covers I'll mention, Ryan. Uh, There's probably way more, but these are just the ones that were on my radar. Uh, Pink Mountaintops opened their newest album, uh, Peacock Pools, with a stellar cover of Nervous Breakdown. Uh, we mentioned this earlier in the year, but Mark Stewart of the pop group has a new album called Verses, and he and Watt cover Grant Hart's All of My Senses. This great Boston goth punk band called Final Gasp cover The Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill on their new single. Mm. That would be cool to hear as it a, is like good. A, a, a goth treatment. That'd be good. 
Uh, here's a really good one, and this is a recommend for you too, Ryan. Baltimore oh. melodic uh, hardcore band Praise have an excellent album on Revelation called All in a Dream. Uh, you would love it, Ryan, I think. I heard about them on the Where It Went podcast, and they cover Keep Hanging On on their album, and it's a really good cover. Nice. Uh, and uh, we mentioned this a few weeks back, but the Nils have a new EP called Five Roses, and they cover Pink Turns to Blue. Mm. So that's like, I don't know, what, four Husker Du covers? Yeah. Awesome to have the Nils cover Husker because the Nils influenced Husker. Yeah. What did you uh, pick out, Ryan? All right, so here's a few more. Lou Barlow and company released a single on Joyful Noise, Only Fading and Sacrifice. Uh, the Circlons, When Only the Music is Pretty. This is out on Poison Summer and, of course, has Tom Hofer and Cal Johansson and John Talley Jones among the ranks on that band. The Dinosaur Jr. 7200 Seconds 12-inch was finally released on Cherry Red. Not a reissue. That's a brand new release of an old live recording, but it's killer. Gary Lee Connor released uh, an album so far digital only called Truth Eater. You can pick that up on Bandcamp. It's cool. It's just classic Gary Lee. Uh, Dumb Numbers and the Melvins put out a saw blade shaped LP on Joyful Noise called Broken Pipe. Uh, Dumb Numbers has kind of a rotating lineup and has had Lou Barlow and Murph in the band for some incarnations. They're not on this one, but still worth mentioning for, uh, you know, absolute completeness. Uh, Tom Hofer himself put out a release called Moving, Stumbling, Drinking, Loving. Tom, of course, from Leaving Trains, this is a four-song EP. And Tom was also in, uh, you know, Danny and the Doorknobs, Trotsky, Ice Pick. Folk Implosion, Back At It. Very cool. Can't wait to get this EP in the mail. I think it's going to arrive next week, hopefully. It's a 12-inch on Inundation Records called Feel It If You Feel It. Roger Miller from Mission of Burma put out eight dream interpretations for solo electric guitar ensemble that's on cuneiform records that's a wild ride uh, speaking of burma mini beast they released their on ice record on presco recordings check that one out here's a little bit more jay mascus out on outer battery heavy blanket released their crushed flexi seven inch as a prequel to their lp next year brand mm. prequel Prequel. Bob Mould released a three-track digital EP called Ocean. You mentioned Josh Hayden a while back. Well, Josh's sister Rachel is out on a Petrified Max EP that was just released like a few days ago called Cool Silver Moon. 130 CDs, limited edition, but you can, of course, pick it up digitally. And then, of course, Petrified Max also released their Everything's Beautiful Now CD on Poison Summer Records earlier this year. There is also the Psychic Temple record, plays Planet Caravan on Big Ego Records. That's worth checking out. Uh, Royal Arctic Institute released their From Catnip to Coma. I've got it on cassette anyways, but you can pick that up digitally. Mm -hmm. uh, Split Single, Jason Narducci from the Bob Mould Band released the Collado Digital Acoustic EP. Um, and that's my kind of new releases. Here's some reissues for you. Circle Jerks, Wild in the Streets, re-released on Trust Records. There was also, we mentioned this a few episodes back, Dread Fool and the Din, 
songs in heat 1982 on corbett versus dempsey i got mine in the mail last week nice. yes nice yes uh two dinosaur junior releases i mentioned last week i think technically one of them comes out next year but the reunion album beyond was re-released this year and then of course there's the sire records puke and cry box set that you can get speaking of dino folk implosion their take a look inside record was re-released on cassette on joyful noise and they're also signed now to joyful noise hopefully we get a new lp by them next year field day speaking of pete courtner they released their acquisition 12 inch technically mostly a re-release there's also some uh, new tracks on there that's coming out on little rocket records as a 12 inch narrow adventure this is out on space case records this collects all their recordings from 81 to 83 on lp space case of course the same label that put out that wicked urinals book recently this is christy and kelly from wednesday week and then cal johansson um also isotope 217 or 217 the unstable molecule came out on thrill jockey that's dan bitney from the tar babies right re-released and then three comps all out on radiation it's funny you mentioned that chemical people singles comp i thought that came out on radiation too maybe not i'll have to check um i've got an old cd of that i don't know if i'll pick it up on vinyl but anyways the life is ugly so why not kill yourself Life is beautiful, so why not eat health food? And Life is Boring, so why not steal this record, comps? Those were all re-released on Radiation this year. Hmm. And then finally, Brant. I don't know who's on first, but... What's on base? Yeah, man. Here come some more Mike Watt releases. Um, all three of these out on Chris Schlarb's Big Ego Records. Man, I've just been digging the releases on that label more than ever this year. Um, I mentioned most of these just a few weeks ago, too. The Mike Baguetta, Jim Keltner, Mike Watt, Every When We Go LP was released this year. And then two Psychic Temple records. In addition to the one I just mentioned, Plays Planet Caravan, um, the Plays Music for Bus Stops was reissued by Big Ego. And then the new one was released, Plays Music for Airports. Um, not the same combo as Baguetta, Keltner, Watt. Very similar, though. It's the MSSV, or Main Steam Stop Valve Band. They put out the Scott Archer EP this year. There was also uh, the third in the series of Stooges Tribute 7 Inches. The Mike Watt and Larry Mullins Funhouse 7 Inch was released this year. And then finally, there was the Mike Watt and Second Men split with Tim Kerr and Up on the Sun out on red parakeet records yeah i just heard uh the tim kerr track on uh on the watt from pedro show he played it and it's cool so he does history lesson part two and uh you know the part he got a whole bunch of other people to be on it like other musicians you know saying saying things like punk rock changed our lives and you know the part where it goes me and where it mentions john doe yeah it's john doe saying that part Oh, no way. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. Mine, mine still hasn't arrived in the mail, and of course I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I listened to uh, listen to that episode. It's uh, Alec Mackay is the guest. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. I, um, I'm i definitely going to mention that Hammered Hulls record next week. Yeah, for I sure. knew you would. Yeah. yeah. That's a great interview with Alec. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check that one out for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's uh, a heck of a lot of amazing releases mm-hmm. from the SS Tree folks. Um, very cool. Keep them coming. Definitely lots to dig into that you mentioned I haven't checked out yet. So I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah, same. So, uh, and hey, everyone, let us know what we missed. Totally. Let's get into this uh, Negative Land record. Sure, man. Part one, Friddle Your Trench. Sounds like Doctor Who, man. Were we getting jammed? I think, I think so. we were get I think we were getting jammed. Well, that's perfect because it's JamCon yeah. 84, man. Let's do it. I love I love Negative Land. Um I'm probably don't know as much about them as you do, but um man, I just really really dug listening to this record today because I love the subversive mm-hmm. creative nature of this and just the idea about making something out and getting like you know the public to participate yeah in an artistic statement like that I just love it so why don't you spiel it for us I got some questions for you though too when you when you're ramping up to the interview okay well we can't get into jamcon 84 or this week's interview without talking about over the edge uh, it's such a huge part of the group's history and legend and we can't talk about over the edge uh, without talking about don joyce don was born in Keene, new hampshire in 1944 he was originally a visual artist and continued doing visual art up until his passing in 2015 at the age of 71 negative land posted uh, on don's passing they said in don joyce negative land had found its lead vocalist without even realizing they were looking for one it was don who took the idea of reshaping previously recorded words in a pre-sampling age and ran with it to an extent and depth never before heard and never equaled recontextualization became his weapon with the quarter inch tape machine and razor blade his ammunition and the radio cart player an entirely forgotten piece of broadcast history using endless loop tape cartridges, which he used until his death, his delivery system. When he and Negative Land discovered their mutual love for found sounds, an intensely collaborative creative partnership was cemented. It continued nonstop for the ensuing decades, with Don endlessly scanning the airwaves of radio and television, along with his massive LP collection for material, day by day, week by week. So Don founded the Over the Edge radio show in 1981 on KPFA in Berkeley, California. He and his collaborators in Negative Land would create direct reference collages, manipulating and mixing both found and original sounds to produce a new kind of audio animal. So while this was going on, uh, 
you know, while Don was just getting started with this, uh, Mark Hosler was going to high school in the San Francisco suburb Concord, uh, but taking the train into Berkeley to buy records at Rather Ripped and, you know, searching for records by the residents, Para Ubu, Cabaret Voltaire, Steve Reich, Philip Glass, Terry Riley, Throbbing Gristle, etc. Uh, at age 16, at an after-school job, he met co-worker Richard Lyons uh, by discovering they were both into Klaus Schultz which would be rare even by today's standards. <laughs> uh, he also met Richard's friend, David Wills, a.k.a. the weatherman at that same job. David was already making tape loops and had built his Booper, a homemade electronic noise-making device built out of clock radio amplifiers with various resistors and capacitors attached to knobs and switches, which he used to modulate feedback. While Mark and Richard were still in high school, they... Uh, they formed their Sealand label and started releasing records as Negative Land. It was future Negative Land associate Ian Allen who'd introduced them to Don Joyce. He brought them up to the show, Ian did, uh, one night in 1981, and they started playing around in the studio uh, with all of the gear and the light bulb went on. So before we throw to the interview, Ryan, obviously every Negative Land fan knows our guests, but uh, just for listeners who, do who don't, Mark still leads the group today. Uh, mainly working with John Lydecker, a.k.a. Wobbly, who also took over the Over the Edge radio show in 2015 uh, when Don passed away. The weatherman, David Wills, although he doesn't tour or perform live, is still involved in the recordings and the live show. Uh, Peter Conheim has also been working with the band, as far as I can tell, as far back as the mid-90s. And that's kind of the, the core of Negative Land today. So, hey, I got a question for you. When I listen to the interview, there's a lot of discussion about ham radio. Yep. Right? Ham radio. And it got me thinking. I mean, maybe we've covered this before and I didn't remember it, but do you think the jammers used SST ham radios? Maybe. I think so, right? And I wonder whether that ham radio contribution to negative land kind of was part of what got Greg Ginn interested into negative land, or at least like he had kind of a soft spot for the way that they create their artwork yeah. because there was this ham radio element to it. Hey, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I was kind of thinking that it's really weird how we are, you know, episode 200 and whatever, and we haven't really talked about ham radios for a long time. I feel but like here, we have because I remember. But here they, here they are again, right? Well, we had a guest on one time who was into ham radios, I feel like. And I asked if they ever talked to, if the subject ever came up with Greg. And I, Oh, man, really? It sounds familiar, but I can't remember. I can't remember that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, at least it came up Um in this interview and it got me thinking like i know we we talked a bit about it when we started the show yeah you know back, way way back and uh it's cool like it, it's a bit of a a bit of a full circle thing where it's kind of a thing though too again ham radios oh, like right now in the world it's like it, it's like puzzles man it's it's a pandemic thing oh no way yeah oh that's cool <laughs> i wonder if any hams are calling in right now to the show, hey? To our show? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, what was that a few minutes ago? 
Yeah. Right? What was that? Could be, man. Could be. Hey, let's go to the interview. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Mark Hosler and the Weatherman. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Hey, thanks Thank for having you. us. Okay, so we're talking about the Jamcon 84 cassette. I think, you know, to get into this, we should first start talking about the Over the Edge radio show. So Don started the show on KPFA in Berkeley. What can you tell me about the radio station? Oh, well... KPFA is still still exists. It's a it's a, it's part of the Pacifica network. It has other stations in New York, Houston, Los Angeles, and it goes back to the I think I think 1949. Is that right, David? That's right. And it's 59,000 watts, and it is a very left, very very left leaning kind of news, culture, public affairs, some amount of uh, music on it, and. Um, uh, Don had had a sh- radio show on KALX. He somehow got the opportunity to move his show over to KPFA, and he ended up with a, a time slot of 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. And it was called Over the Edge. And he played one record after another, like normal DJs do. But he always had them thema- They were all thematic. He always did thematic sets. You know, that was definitely a thing of his. And so, uh, he- oh, sorry. Yes, David. Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing about KPFA. It's kind of off the topic, but before I even knew Mark, I was involved listening to radio in great depth and detail. And my parents and I took a trip to Mount Lassen in Northern California, and I could pick up KPFA on the top of Mount Lassen perfectly clear. That's how strong it is. That's all. Neat. Well, uh, Ian Allen, who had started working with Negative Land, was uh, a fan of Don's from his KALX days. And Don also did some radio productions that were kind of scripted with lots of characters and sound effects and kind of fire sign theater-ish types of things. And Ian just thought that the members of Negative Land and Dawn should meet. That it just that that there was some potential there to for Negative Land to take the approach we had to mixing and sound collaging, and maybe do something on the radio. You maybe use the radio station as the performance mm-hmm. instrument. Yep. And so we yeah we had a meeting with Dawn. We all hit it off. Dawn just said sure come on up. And I think all of us were such big fans of radio that the idea that we could get to go on the air. As late as it was, it was a you know fifty nine thousand watts. So it reached, as David was saying, up to from the top of Mount Lassen all the way you could get it down in Fresno. And the idea that we were be allowed on the air to do anything we wanted, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so we we brought in our mixers, synthesizers, you know, all records, tapes. Um, Don had the cart machines you use. They kind of are like eight track tape like cartridges that stations generally use them to play. Um, uh, commercials and, and jingles and things. And, and some DJs might use them to, like a crazy wacky DJ, uh, like Dr. Don Rose in the San Francisco Bay area would use it for playing sound effects. Yeah. So we had the three turntables, auxiliary mixers, instruments we brought in, uh, four reel to reels. There was cassette deck, the cart machines, and then phone callers that we could put on the air live. So we had these enormous amount of, of, uh, audio sources that we we're all manipulating live in real time. And, and various characters and personas sort of evolved. 
course, the weatherman was always just the weatherman. Right. <laughs> yeah, just the weatherman's not pretending to be anyone else except himself. I'm lazy that <laughs> I'm lazy that way. <laughs> and what Don, you know, said years later, which I didn't realize, was that, I mean, as soon as we started playing three records on, I mean, it was instantly obvious to our brains, like, oh yeah, let's play three records at once on the air and turn them all by hand, you know, and and just. Our sort of a, our instinctive approach to how to use the studio, yeah. apparently, actually kind of blew Don's mind, and and he realized, and Don's the one person in our group who had a real, and I should mention Don Joyce is who we're talking about in the group is now deceased. He's he died uh, about seven years ago, um, and he passed along over the edge to Negative Land member uh, John Lidecker, who still is doing the show. So the still the show has is still exists. It still 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 goes on. Um, and John's done, yeah, amazing. His, he's taken it in his own direction for sure, but it is it is wonderful what he's done. That absolutely wonderful. Um, but yeah, D- apparently Don was a real background in painting and sculpture, and he's the one he's the one person in our group who's kind of trained in the arts officially. Had a couple of master's degrees in the arts, and he just he just was like, "This is it. This is what <laughs> I want to do in my life." Yeah, you know, is is, and he kept doing over the edge every week for no pay coming up with themes ideas concepts and scripts for 34 years wow and yeah unbelievable work uh, work ethic that the guy had totally committed uh, negative land officially did the show as often as we could but don was the mainstay of keeping it going from week to week to week and of course as the show as we started doing the show, at first it was just crazy random sound collage mixing but very quickly i mean i think within Within a month or two, the show. What do you remember, David? We started having concepts, characters, yeah, like th- themes, and we realized if you came to the show, if you had a theme, even though you were improvising it all on the air, if you had a theme, you'd written some little scripted bits, you had uh, records and ideas and voice tapes and cut-ups from TV, talk radio, movies, all connected to the theme. That when you mix them all together, if you were improvising and well and listening well, that it all came together and sounded like it was much more planned out than it actually was. I kind of liked the early stuff when it was more disorganized. Yeah. The, the sometimes I think the putting a theme as something to guide you uh, caused me to back off a little bit. I just liked it like a free for all. Yeah. You know, the one thing I really liked about the turntables, for example, I think they had continuously variable speed from like 26 or 29 RPM through 86 RPM. And you can just go back and forth with it, have all three of them going, and we were all adjusting the speed, that sort of thing. A lot of, almost like mayhem, I guess, would be a good word to describe it. Well, I hear it even in Jam Con 84, but the earliest recordings, um, which now... We've found we, we have some of them saved and we've released some things from them, but also we've actually found people who were recording these shows at home on cassette. And so the the over the edge, there's 34 years of over the edge are up on the Internet archives. Four thousand hours of a radio show are up there for free to listen to. And yeah, <laughs> so and when, in fact, when we when we announced it, we gave it a catalog number and we said it's our new record. We said this is our new release. It's right. four thousand hours long, you know. <laughs> um, but the it's I agree, and I think John 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 agrees too that the 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 early days 
they are rough. They're very rough. But there is a there is an energy to them because we kind of there's an enthusiasm and excitement and a and a raw chaotic energy because of as David said it's it's kind of mayhem and there there's yeah, I, I yeah. just remember calling those turntables educational turntables. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that got. Uh, Charles Amercani and all upset, and he slapped me in the butt over that, <laughs> just for fun. Yep, we Charles Amercani was the music director of KPFA, <laughs> and he had a real history as an avant-garde composer. And so, what we were doing was so sort of. I'm making quote signs here. Wrong for <laughs> what was supposed to be radio. Even for K KPFA, wasn't was pretty. It was politically very, very, very progressive and liberal, but but aesthetically and artistically, no, you know, it was it was it was not. So what we were doing, Charles Armenian really was sort of our champion there. I mean, he he's he's an unsung hero in the over the edge history because he really he stood up for us. You know, when when people were like saying, "What the hell is this? What is this crazy noisy shit going on every year?" And back then, of course, we were there was foul language uh, right. on the show, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and he yeah. stood up for. It. Yeah, well, I was going to ask about content, like standing up for the process. You know, I think is is more what you mean, and allowing you to to use the studio as to create these pieces. But Negative Land does have a history of controversy around some of the content that you you've used. Was that a, ever a factor? I'm sure it was on the radio show. Well, the, the two things, and, and David can tell me if he remembers but okay. it, more accurately, but in the early days, one, we were on at 2 a.m., and then eventually we moved, within a few years, we moved to being on at uh, midnight. So I Thursday think by night from yeah, it, it, midnight to, uh, what is it, 6 a.m.? No, it was midnight to 3 a.m., and then oh, some yeah. shows were midnight oh. to 5 a.m., but yeah, it moved and, from being at 2 a.m. The original was... Sunday night, Monday morning, two yeah. a.m. to seven a.m. Yes, which was brutal uh, to do, but we—I <laughs> was young and we could do it. But back then, KPFA didn't care, and the FCC had not clamped down on on community radio stations as they did later. So there's an era of over the edge where, if we're playing tapes with foul language, or if callers are are using obscenities, it was fine. And and you hear that in the early the Pastor Dick Muriel's Purse Fund over the edge show uh, this one Jamcon eighty four yeah it was very uh, Weatherman's dumb stupid come out line um, uh, all of those things had yeah had obscenities but then I think by the maybe the late eighties do you remember David when it changed it changed more when the they had to put in the delay. That seven-second delay spoiled everything. You could no longer, Don could no longer say when your phone stops ringing, you're on the air. It just, the delay just messed everything up. Yeah, but I think that might have been starting in the 90s. It was a, so yeah, that there was, was a, probably a little later. Yeah, right. no, there was a good many, many years where one of the fun things we could do was if you called, when we put you on the air, we could have you through effects. You were live on the air in real time and we could play tapes of you. You could interact with what we were doing. We would interact with what you were doing. Uh, and we ended up, the listenership definitely learned that, yeah, when I'm calling, I, I can add into what they're doing and they'll respond to what I'm adding to their mix. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like you mentioned that typically, I think someone would suggest a theme maybe, you know, earlier in the week or, or whatever. Yeah. And then 
would you discuss it? Was it ever rehearsed in advance or was it just like, hey, this week we're doing a theme. The theme is going to be X. Bring what you have. Or would yeah. one person, the person suggesting the theme, would they be expected to bring the bulk of the material related to the theme? That's a good question. Uh, no, it was it was just here's the concept and the idea, and which might have been, uh, you know, like we could have a show that all revolved around David playing the recordings he'd been making of his family since he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to have Richard is going to be Pastor Dick and we're going to do a whole call in show re- related to some religious themes. Um, but we would just bring everything that we thought related and and then just go on and then just do it. But there there would be some amount of scripted material, but but in a three to five hour show, you know, there might be like five or ten minutes of stuff that was actually pre-written and ideas of things we were gonna try and do. Like, okay, uh, we're gonna go try to go to a particular concept someone has somewhere around 1 a.m. We're gonna do a thing, you know, but how it would actually all come together. The thing about it being radio that was so beautiful because one, you're using the sort of theater of the mind of the imagination, but you could talk to each other with the mics off and you, you know, so you could actually just go, okay, you know, one of us could just go, Hey, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go to the next, uh, the next, you know, I've got this next thing queued up. As soon as you're done, you know, I, I've got, I've got the thing that we're going to go do next. And, and then, and it wouldn't mean that they even knew what you were going to go do next, but right. you could just cue, you could cue each other like that. Cause the, the listeners at home couldn't see any of that. The way I see it, it seems like Don kind of set the tone and and kind of made the themes. And then we just kind of, well, at least for me, I just kind of filled in. And quite often, as you probably know, I used the same sounds a lot, even when the theme was different. Yes. Just used the sound, the same sounds in a slightly different way. Yeah. Like starting and stopping the tape differently one way and then another way at another time, for example. I would say to this day that the weatherman is definitely an agent of chaos in, in negative land <laughs> in everything we do. You are, for sure. Because I consider yeah. myself ignorant. I'm ignorant about a lot of popular culture, and I like it that way. <laughs> we we all love you for that, Mr. Wills. Right. Um, yeah, but when we David's been on our live shows and in in vent, you know, or when we're touring, mm-hmm. uh, David does is in the show as a uh, he comes in on on FaceTime, you know, over yeah. over the phone, and and we basically never know what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I was I was half expect when he when we were setting this up, and you know, you and I were talking, Mark, and uh, David was kind of in the loop but not responding. I was part a little part of me was hoping that was going to happen here, like you and I were going to talk, and then the weatherman was just going <laughs> to pop in and and make an appearance. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil your show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you mentioned David, you know, recording his family and stuff like that. And when you watch the that documentary, how radio isn't done, which is an amazing documentary, uh, you know, Don seems to suggest like he would. I'm assuming he would just like put a tape on to record the TV and go do stuff. But like the sourcing and cataloging of material in Negative Land must have just <laughs> taken up an insane amount of time. Well, the, one of the things that we ended up with that I thought was sort of a secret weapon for Negative Land studio recordings and live recordings is that every so every week there'd be a, an over the edge show with a theme. Material would be gathered, stuff, new material maybe from the radio, from the TV, old stuff, thrift store stuff, things we had in our in our own personal archives. 
And then after we do it, we'd come in, things would be cut up and labeled. And so when the shows were over, we'd have reels of stuff and cassettes and, and all sorts of cut in the early days, cut up reel to reel. Um, that was all la carefully labeled as to what it was. Mm. And then that would go into our sort of our, our, our deeper archive. Um, the radio show is an, is its own thing, but also it, it would act as a kind of a, a laboratory for us to, to experiment with new ideas and develop themes and things that we might turn into a live performance. We might turn it into a, a studio recording that we could go deep, d dig into you know, our own archives to then cherry pick the best bits from an old over the edge show right. to use on a new studio recording. The, the record disc Pepsi, uh, one of the ways that came about was that I remember we realized that we just had an, we'd been wanting to do a project sp specifically uh, about advertising, but it was such a huge subject. And I, and I remember realizing that um, we had an enormous amount of material in our archives related specifically to Pepsi. Also the introduction of Coke, I mean, new Coke, the Coke versus Pepsi wars. And then the idea kind of arose, well, what if we did a project that was really trying to be all about how advertising just overwhelms us and affects us and impacts us, but we'll focus relentlessly on one pr product, do the ultimate product placement for an entire record album. And we can do that because we've got a shitload of, of material in our archives that already all relates. Right. And yeah, that was kind of, so it was actually having accumulating enough of the material in a, on a particular subject then ends up inspiring us to do, you know, a, 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 a more finished studio project. And that's been true. That's been true for negative land, you know, for forever. So over the edge becomes this incredibly key, you know, none of us realize it at the time, but it becomes like this key ingredient for how we then create everything else that we do. It also became, a huge part of the band's history and these are like live performances, right? Yeah. And then you end up doing what what you did with this release, which is releasing it. Since I've always been interested in recording stuff off radio, that's where it all started. Where I lived in Contra Costa County, I could only really pick up three radio stations. One of them was KPFA, nice and strong, and then the station my parents listened to was what we call a beautiful music station. And then the third one was this weird thing with these ham radio operators. So I started recording them and it just <laughs> went from went from there. And this is to me is a, a really for me, just a beautiful example of how all of our brains work together to maybe turn into one smart one brain. Yeah. <laughs> so we we're on over the edge. We're we're on KPFA. You know, we're kind of we're doing something that, if you were tuning the dial and heard this in the middle of the night, you 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 might be very confused about what was going on. We were doing a kind of, the show itself was a kind of a jamming of what you might expect on radio. What certainly what you would expect on KPFA, and so I remember that that um, Ian, well David was playing that some of the ham radio jammer tapes on over the edge. Ian was inspired by that to sort of to take it and run with it as more, sort of a, a, a metaphor for what we were we were doing as Negative Land in, in our approach to to trying to create music performances, records, radio, and so the record we put out in 1983, uh, uh, which is called A Big Ten A Place, which heavily features uh, David on side two telling the story of 180 and the letter G. That is the first time the jammers show up in our recorded work. 
And in fact, the inner sleeve of the vinyl version when it came out is hand embossed with a little phrase that, that, that Ian came up with. It says, a jammer can. And, and I remember we just had this idea of wanting to promote this idea of jamming, like not literally just going on ham radio and just saying stupid juvenile swear words and things, but as a, you know, as a, as a, as a metaphor for, as an, an analogy for, you know, how, how we should interact more with the world, right, you know, that right. the world needs to be interrupted, jammed, people's perspectives need to be altered, shifted, changed. And, um, uh, so after that, worked its way into the rate from David's recordings into the show. Then what happened was David was recording more ham radio jammers and David ended up recording the jammers where the jammers were talking about the fact that they'd heard themselves on our radio show. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember David? Like when that that happened? Not only the hams, uh, I had a CB radio set up. And I was able to actually call people on CB radio during Over the Edge Mm -hmm. and then put them on live over the phone line. Don would put me on and I would ask the CB radio radio guys to tune their car radios to KPFA. And then they when they key up their microphone, they go on live over a broadcast station. And I believe this is called duplexing Mm. and and it's, yeah. it's completely illegal. <laughs> it's now, it's the, super illegal to do. Now, the way, uh, <laughs> the way this station works that I listen to, it's called a repeater. So all of the hams with their low-powered little walkie-talkies could talk into the repeater, which was actually not far from the KPFA transmitter. And then the repeater will put the signal out on a much stronger level mm. and broadcast it, so to speak. And since they were near each other, my area where I lived, I could pick that up really well. And I was even using the wrong kind of a radio to listen to amateur radio. It was, you know, wide bandwidth. So that's why the fidelity is so good on these ham radio jammers. There was nothing to interfere with it, and it had wide bandwidth, high fidelity. So a, a repeater is like a, just like a signal booster almost. Yeah, yeah. it okay. picks it up on one frequency, and on this one repeater, the output, as they called it, was at 146.82 megahertz. And then the input is, I believe, six 600 kilohertz down and they would talk on 146.22 and then it would get boosted and go out at 146.82 at a stronger level and then what happened was one over the edge show one of the jammers who now were aware of what we were doing calls into the show and I remember that so, you know, he interacted with us, played tapes. I don't remember what he did, but I went and ran out of the room and I said, Don, I need you to let me pick up the phone and get him on the line and then we'll take him off the air. But I'm going to talk to him off the air because we should invite them to come up to the show. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this is like it's this is all going in some big loop here, you know, and it, it just makes perfect <laughs> sense. So we talked to, you know, so I talked to this guy and, uh, and that ends up being the guy who's actually being interviewed on Jam Count 84. Mm. That actually is one of the jammers that we have been 
recording. And so once that idea came out, let's have them up for the show. Then Don, you know, t- John said, well, what if it was, we, let's say it's, what if we make it into a jammers convention? Let's right. do the whole show all about jammers. It'll be international jammers convention. And that's true. And that turns into Jamcon 84. And then uh, in that show, uh, Don's, uh, you know, alter ego, one of his many alter egos, Crosley Bendix, who's the cultural arts uh, critic for um, uh, the Universal Media Netweb. He gives his little his little review of, of what he's calling cultural jamming of people altering billboards, taking this idea of jamming into a different, you know, to a different level. And that's the term that then years later, this uh, cultural critic, a real culture critic named Mark Deary ends up writing a trend piece about what he sees some things going on in the arts and, and entertainment. And he uses the phrase culture jamming in an article he writes in, I think, L magazine, a fashion magazine of all places. And then it shows up in uh, Seven Stories Press, who's published things like by Noam Chomsky and stuff. They do a, a booklet that he writes about it and Adbusters has him writing about it. And then that's when the term starts to enter into uh, being kind of common, more and more commonly used to actually talk about a certain kind of, of activism. So mm-hmm. like 10, 10 years later, the t- so that's this whole journey that goes on that all starts with the weatherman recording those tapes and all of our different brains, you know, taking it and running with it and bouncing off of each other and then and then working with the material. Things happen we don't expect, then we respond to that, and it just sort of morphs and grows and grows, and finally we end up with the uh, the show that you are we're talking about here today. I actually brought my communications receiver into the studio. And I invited the hams to speak through it, and they could go out live on the air. Uh, I guess they did it a little bit. Do you recall that, Mark? Yeah, you hear a little bit of it actually yep. in JamCon '84. You do hear you do hear a little bit of it actually live happening. You the, can the hear list. them give out. Somebody gives out the whatever yeah. the call numbers yeah, or letters was, to call into. That was when they moved to a different repeater. It was a different frequency. And there was some confusion about what frequency they should talk on. Yeah, yeah. But it finally worked a little bit because no delay. I can't stress that enough. The no delay is what made everything work with all this stuff. David, I'm wondering, can you explain to me what actually a jammer is? What did they do? What was what was the concept behind radio jamming? All right. Well, I'm not very good at. It's kind of political and kind of a lot of the amateur radio operators, the old timers, they're conservative and they didn't like the younger ones with their new ideas. So some of them would get upset. And there was one one guy made a tape loop out of something and played it over and over again. Something about I still can't join the club. He just played it for like 10 minutes. I can't join the club. And the club is these old guys, you know, that I don't know. I just really can't say too much about it because it's just I'm just dumb about that. I can add that they they I know that they would just use lots of test tones. And there was the guy who who was doing the Mickey, the Mickey Mouse voice, who you mm-hmm. do hear yeah. in the in the show. Yeah. That was one of the jammers was was being um, he was I think he was just kind of called a Mickey, like 
Yeah, and, there are and, two guys that did that. Oh, it was two Mickeys. Okay. All Didn't right. he come up to the studio? Yeah, one? I think maybe because at one point, one of the Mickeys is actually, I picked up the phone and just did a Mickey myself. But um, you hear the Mickeys on uh, on a Big Ten Eight place as well. Those were some of the jammers. But again, what interested us about it was that I mean, the recordings are fun and funny. They're great. I mean, they're just for negative land. They're like fantastic found sounds to use in things. But then they do work, you know, as a you can use them in ways that they certainly didn't intend when they were when they were making those tapes. But a lot of test tones. Right. They would they would play, David. Right. On their on their little radios, which you referred to as handy talkies. There was a, a touch tone pad like touch on a tone. phone phone. And to use that properly, it would access different things in the repeater if you'd hit certain buttons. Mm. But they'd just play them randomly or even try to play music on them and use that as jamming. Mm. So they're they're trying to mess with ham radio yeah. enthusiasts. <laughs> right. The, the conservative guys yeah. and then the new... New people are more, I guess, free thinkers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't really have much of an opinion on that. I just like the idea that I can record it. Right. That's what I did. Okay. So um, this the centerpiece of kind of the the first track, I guess. Like I'm when I when I'm talking thinking about these tracks, just for people for our listeners, I'm I'm referencing the CD version of uh, of JamCon '84, or uh, sorry, of Over the Edge Volume One. Because uh, the cassette, they originally came out on Sealand and then SST on cassette, and it's just kind of one long piece. But the the kind of centerpiece of the the first part of it is this uh, Ted Wright interview with W6DR. Um, what what's that yeah. all about? That's the guy we invited up to the show. Okay. Yeah. And Ted Wright was somehow is is uh, another pseudonym for another guy who I guess. He did some jamming as well. So those Ted Ted Wright and the other guy who's up there is he credited? Because there's it's Kent Hastings and Gary Kerr, but they're um, they were they were some of the actual real jammers that we got ended up getting into the into the studio from talking to them off the air. Later on, we get into what you I believe refer to as receptacle programming. I, th- I guess that starts pretty early on, but uh, some of it is like. There's a, a woman who phones in that says, this is mind jamming. <laughs> is yeah, it, I just you... heard that last night. <laughs> uh, was she one of the people that was complaining about yeah. Over the Edge? It yeah. sounded like she was a, a she... kind of upset that we were on doing that. Yes, but David, I was just reminded when I listened to it, because I haven't listened to this you know, in 20 years or something, the tapes of the woman talking about mind jamming that's actually Don jamming everyone else who's there in the studio because he's that woman is pre-recorded. That's from uh, an, a different Over the Edge show that happened months earlier. And if you uh, listen, she says, this is mind jabbing. You hear it. She says it twice. And it's the exact same phrase. I mean, it's, she's not repeating herself. It's the exact recording. And I realized, oh, yes, Don was actually basically fucking with with everyone there at some point where we david think i think david and maybe ted wright think they're talking to a phone caller but actually it's it's a tape that don's playing at them uh, uh, well i guess so i'll just have you, to 
through that test with the oscilloscope and match the waveforms to see if it's the same. Yeah. So, so we, you were jammed. We were getting jammed. <laughs> okay. So, so, so good for... thing too. But she was really calling. It was from another over the edge show where she was calling to complain about the fact that she just yeah, couldn't stand because she was we were even more disorganized earlier. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, like, uh, receptacle receptacle programming. Just for our listeners, that's what you—that's the phrase you used for people calling into the show. Yes, that the show is your receptacle, and please deposit your programming into our receptacle. That's the idea. Ah, uh-huh, okay. So, like, yes. you know, given the the hours that you were the show was on the air, did you get a lot of calls? Well, once it moved to midnight, you know, mid two a.m. to seven a.m. is kind of a tough slot for people to hear what you're doing. But midnight to three a.m. for a show like what Over the Edge is, I think it's a perfect time, perfect. Yep. Yep. And so I think that by by the time we were doing a, a JamCon '84, we were on it. We were on at midnight, and uh, yeah, so it would there was like two years of the two a.m. maybe. Two or three, but yeah, by by eighty four we were we were in the new time slot, and I think then yeah our listenership went way up for sure. Callers, well, lots more callers. For those Monday mornings, I had to go to work and start fixing the Playboy Channel right away. <laughs> she mentions music from the Heart of Space. That's the show that preceded Over the Edge. Tell me about that show. Yes, good. You 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 did do some research, Brant. Very good. Because we love the fact that when when we were coming out at two a.m., we're coming on after this. There's this very this new agey space music show that we all love. Right. We really do. I mean, we really love that. We I love all that kind of music and everyone. Yeah, I was it. listening to it before Negative Land formed. Yeah. Mm. Well, they hated the fact the people who did that show hated the fact that we came on after them. <laughs> <laughs> I can even remember a show where he warned his listeners to turn their radios off because if they're all mm. chilled out and relaxed by right. 2 a.m., the mellow, you know, the, the droney, new agey space music, you don't want to hear what's going what's coming up next. Here's, it's these, gonna... here's these freaks car- dragging in yeah. boxes of carts and synthesizers. Yeah. And, <laughs> and oh, yeah. yeah. The time when they had a fight on the air. Oh yes, one of the time, the, the the extremely the, the the couple who did the show, who, what did they call themselves? Timotheo and animistic. Timotheo and animistique. No, it was animistic. <laughs> animistic. They he brought in his own. Again, this is this is you know this is early '80s. He brought in his own. Uh, did, I think it was an early digital reverb, which would have been very expensive at the time. Yeah, and he used it to make his voice sound all spacious and and you know to fit the fit the vibe. Mm. And so he did a mic break, and they forgot to turn the mics down. We were in the hall bringing in all of our gear, and we could hear them live over the air. They were having an argument. <laughs> they were really pissed off at each other. It, clearly, their relationship was was not in a good place, and we of course didn't tell them that they were going out live in the air we just mm. we just said this is amazing you know this is fantastic just scrambling you know. <laughs> to record it probably yeah don't say a thing <laughs> don't say a thing yeah. yes there's there's a show that we did where back in the 2 a.m to 7 a.m days where when we came in at 7 a.m and we had to get all our gear we had to or, i mean sorry when the when we finished up at 7 a.m and we were pulling all of our gear out 
And the other guy came in to do a, basically a really nice morning show. Mm-hmm. Uh, De- what's his name? Denny Smithson, I think was his name. Yeah. And so we were recording our shows. We, you call this air checks. You know, you're recording your show. And one of the one of the times when he came onto the air live, we'd left something set wrong. So he couldn't hear himself in his own headphones. So he comes on the air and we ended up with a recording of him coming on the air and being all confused because he couldn't hear himself and he didn't know what was going on. And then we came in and we were, you know, we said, we're sorry. We, we threw a few switches and we fixed it. So we ended up with a recording of this. So then months later, we did a show where at quarter to seven in the morning, we pretended that it was 7 a.m. <laughs> and so Denny Smithson was coming in and we just turned all the microphones up and we signed off the show, played, the, you know, played, the, did our sign off and everything. We just turned all the microphones on and we're just unplugging our gear. Denny comes in. We're talking to Denny. He thinks that he's just not hearing what's going right. out over the air because of however we have things set. But actually, it's it's, him. it's us <laughs> going out over the air, just talking, oh, unplugging, uh, coiling our cables, loading in and yep. and, uh, and and <laughs> and and and. What we played was the recording of him being confused and not knowing what was going on in the air. And that's what we played kind of when we when we went into the transition into the, the next like 10, 15 minutes of of him being being in the room. And then at seven, the real 7 a.m., he comes on the air and he never knew what we'd done. You never told him before you left. <laughs> oh, no. That's genius. Because that would be mean. No, we don't need to. We don't need to. We just we just were trying to make. It was kind of like anything for good radio, including yeah. what we really realized was when things are failing. I mean, some of the funniest shows are there's a there's a show, uh, the uh, the the uh, the turkey bowl show that Richard had scripted where it was supposed to be a bowl. It was a bowling sh- bowling live on the radio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Richard was uh, Zach Hassaway. Zach Hassaway. And. <laughs> It is one of the only times in my life that I heard Don break on the radio is that Richard handed out the script pages to everyone because it was more this was a much more scripted show than we ever did. Mm-hmm. Richard overlooked one important thing. He forgot to number the pages. <laughs> <laughs> and so on the air live it was uh who was there it was Richard David Don I think it was Mark Jurgis was there. Yeah, what was Don's name. He had a funny name too. What yeah. was that? Um, but on the air live, they all end up on the wrong page while they're doing reading the script live. And Don's hitting the wrong sound effect cues. He's hitting gutter balls, and it's supposed to be strikes and strikes, and it's supposed to be gutter balls. And the whole thing is descending. It's complete. It's a total disaster. And as I said, it's it's the only time. It's like one of two times in 34 years that Don actually. You know, who was a very, very, very deadpan guy in real life as well, yeah. and he 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 broke up over the air. But what was what's so great? If you listen to it, I, I wasn't at the show. What's so amazing is everyone realizes from having done enough over the edge that this, in fact, is pure gold. Like, yep, it's a complete disaster, but we're just going to keep going right. with with it being a complete train wreck. And in fact, it, it's one of the greatest over the edge shows ever. It's one of the funniest shows ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, on this one, speaking yeah. of characters, re- uh, I'm not sure if this is a recurring character or not. Who's Rex Everything? Uh, Rex Everything was, I was Rex Everything. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that something 
you got that from something that I used to say. I don't know. I don't remember. You yeah, I used to get upset over dirt on something. I'd say, oh, that's going to wreck everything. <laughs> so you just kind of picked it up from I'll that. See, I picked up with that and said, how about my character name is Rex Everything? Mm. And I wasn't on the air very much talking because I, I particularly then when I was younger, I mean, I was very, when I, I, I could do all the mixing and sound collage and all that stuff just fine. But when I had to go on the air and improvise and be clever or funny, it was not my forte. Mm. And I would just, I would just, I would panic. Don, you know, was uh, uh, amazing on the air. You know, he could just roll with absolutely anything happening and stay in character and improvise. You know, he was, he was always brilliant at that. And then David, of course, also was amazing at rolling with absolutely anything that happened just by, you know, him just being who he is. If I knew if I could make you hold your head, I must be doing something right. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a part here, David, where it sounds like you're having a conversation with yourself. Both you're talking live on the air, but then you're playing, playing yourself. Do I have that, that right? Don playing myself. Mm. Okay. I don't think I'd be smart enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Don certainly liked playing tapes of David, of David uh, talking to confuse David and then see what would happen. Because, again, this would all make for, you know, make for good radio. Confusion and failure make for great over-the-edge negative land radio, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay, what's this stuff with this C. Elliott Friday? Explain, explain that piece to me. Uh, David, you want to take a try? You want me to want me? I can I can certainly do, go for it. That's a name that Don made up. Well, Celia Friday. I, I, he was a scientist or something that no, developed no, some oh stuff. Oh my God! How can you? How could you not know? How could you not well, get this I, right? That's right. I'm dumb. I'm not <laughs> yeah, going to deny that's that. That's right. You're dumb. Well. Yeah. The, the, Celia Friday. Okay, so Over the Edge is is uh, is not on KPFA. It's on, it's part of the Universal Media Network, right. the UMN. Yeah. It's an alternative network that we that that we created that we're broadcasting on, and it was founded by Celia Friday. And over the years of doing Over the Edge, more Celia Friday, there's more and more mythology is kind of gets created about him. He's a recluse. He lives on Howland Island. No one's ever see him. There's evidence of him being alive going back to the 1800s. There's, it's unclear how that he's impossibly old. It becomes unclear whether or not he's even human um, over in various episodes. And then also Over the Edge in the early days, one of the concepts of what Over the Edge is, is that C. Elliott Friday, who's the world's wealthiest man, is that he built this giant cube that's orbiting the Earth, it's, and it's called the star. And when all of Earth is destroyed and what's left of humanity exists living on the cube and that what over the edge is, is that people all have their Unimedia consoles and then and out of their they're missing old Earth media, they're missing their lives on Earth. And that what over the edge is, is just the audio portion of hearing everyone of what's left of humanity improvising amongst each other using all of their old Earth media. What's the name of the company that developed those consoles? It's the Cubulax Unimedia console. Is that By right? Company. Which the company? I forget. Bridetronics. Bridetronics. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm the one who's dumb. I'm dumb. Yes. Yeah, Bridetronics developed the Unimedia console, the Cubulax Unimedia console. Um, 
yes, it's there's a robot who helps operate things named Wang Tool, and everyone's trying to find Celiot Friday. Where's Celiot Friday? He's the producer. He ought to be here. And they think he's still alive. And there's some broadcasts and stuff coming from him. So so that was the concept of, of that we didn't always explain that, but that actually was, and I don't even think this has ever been publicly explained ever, uh, but that actually was part of the idea of what we were doing every week on the show. And the entire, I, I can, I think at, at this point, I can reveal here that the entire idea of the name comes from a found recording from, and I'm forgetting the name of the movie. It's like the great broadcast of 1934 or shit. Uh, um, John, John Lydecker knows what it is because we actually just found it again recently. But there's a scene in this movie made in the 19. Uh, 30s or four, I think in the 1930s, where someone actually is in an office somewhere and they say, where's Celia Friday? He's the producer. He ought to be here. <laughs> and it's that recording that is, becomes the basis for the, all the things I just described to you. Mm-hmm. you know, Celia, the name Celia Friday. And uh, Don really runs with it. I would say that, well, yes, by the time you're listening to JamCon 84, uh, it's the during the presidential campaign, uh, we decide to have Seal It Friday run for president. But because he's this recluse who will not leave his island, he's doing them all through shortwave radio broadcasts. And you hear one of them uh, on Over the Edge in JamCon 84. Um, you hear one of the Seal It Friday broadcasts. And that is when that is one of the most genius things that Don ever came up with. If at the end of the of Seal It Friday's campaign, presidential campaign broadcast, he says, he says, uh, let me leave you with this thought. Uh, a bird has a left wing and a right wing, but they're just for flapping. The bird brain is in the middle. Vote for Celia Friday. <laughs> <laughs> that is just one of the most, yeah, that is just such a brilliant genius thing only Don could have come up with. And um, says so much while saying nothing at all. Like mm-hmm. if you try to, you kind of get what he's getting at, but also it doesn't actually make sense. So it's, yeah, just so genius. I, I've, I've used that. I have actually used that, you know, that uh, that that phrase uh, over the years to, to explain things about our work, as well as Crosley Bendix. A famous phrase from Crosley Bendix was when we get asked about the, you know, there's some degree to our work is political and we get asked about, um, well, do you think you're just preaching the converted in the work that you're doing? And as and as and my response is, you know, I'll say, well, as as Crosley uh, Bendix once said, intelligence is temporary, and so even when you do know something, it's really good to be reminded of it. Right. <laughs> I think that that's a very very wise observation that uh, Mr. Bendix made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the flip side of the original Sealand and and then SST reissue of the the Sealand cassette is the uh, the drive line, or I guess it's the starting line, is is what it's called. This with Dick Goodbody, which yes, that's Richard. Yeah, he clearly knew a lot about cars. Ah, oh, you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> yes, he's a used car salesman, and mm-hmm. and and yes, Richard knew all of Richard's characters were named Dick something or other. Right. Uh, he was always a big Dick. So he's yeah, always Richard's a... parents had what is now a classic car. A 1973 LTD brougham. Richard just loved the word brougham for some reason. Every chance he got, he would say that. 
Well, didn't we end up all driving around? He ended up with that 1968 Cadillac, Cadillac Fleetwood Brougham that in the pre-negative land Brougham. days. Oh, yeah. Everything's a Brougham. Yeah. So before negative land was called negative land, we would, yes, we would all drive around in uh, in that uh, Cadillac that Richard had that had an eight-track tape player. And we would listen to the only the only tapes we had. We would listen to Candy O by the Cars and... and uh, and the idiot by Iggy Pop. <laughs> <laughs> Two classics. Yeah. Classics. Classics. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse than that. Yeah. So Richard, uh, of course, really did know a lot about used cars. And in just as I said, once we had this incredible platform of this radio show, you know, time slot where we can do whatever we want. And so uh, uh, Richard came up with the idea of of going on and doing kind of a more like an old-fashioned type of a radio show, like a, a quiz show with yeah. questions about cars. And that became the basis of uh, of the starting line. And then, of course, we brought material to mix with that was all related to automobiles and driving and cars. Not hard not hard to find stuff that connects to that. It seems like this was a maybe a bit of more of a, re, like a reoccurring segment on the show, the starting line, or was it just a one-time thing? No, he definitely did it. Uh, uh, what do you remember? There was multiple shows of Pastor Dick, of Dick Goodbody. Uh, the California Superstation was one of them. Dick Vaughn, a has-been 70s DJ, yeah. making his comeback on our coattails. Uh, there was quite a few Dick Vaughn shows. If you go up to the Over the Edge archive at the Internet Archives and do a, a search, a word search, uh, not all those shows were, were, you know, there are a lot, there are quite a few lost shows from mm -hmm. the early to mid eighties, but there's definitely, there's more shows up there with, with, uh, Dick Vaughn, Dick Goodbody and Pastor Dick than the stuff that we officially released. Mm -hmm. Who, who was recording the shows and how were they recording them? I, I believe now it's, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the station is archiving the, the shows themselves or at least recording them. <sighs> Yeah, well, those recordings aren't always the best quality. They stream as kind of MP3, and they don't stay up there forever. Hmm. But um, we we've, we basically, throughout the the 90s, in, starting in the mid-80s into the 90s, Don went through and destroyed an enormous number of, of dual cassette decks <laughs> recording the show, because he would have them set up. So they'd record 90 minutes and then be set to start recording right. another 90 minute tape so he could get all three uh, hours of the show. But he I literally since Don never threw anything away, I remember at one point going into the storage room where he was living somewhere in the early 2000s. And he had like a pile of broken uh, dual cassette decks that was like like four feet tall, five, five feet tall. Of, of now, wait a minute. Didn't we start out? He was recording on those big Ampex tape decks right in the studio for a while. Yeah, the, er the, the, well, the earliest days where he just would record shows, and because tape, reel to reel tape was very expensive, he would just use whatever tape he could find. He would erase over old commercial, anything we could find. And that's why sometimes on our shows, like the early air checks, he would just keep the parts of the show that he thought were good. And and then he would erase the rest of it because who could have imagined that one day there would be some technology that would exist that would allow us to share all of our shows with somebody. I mean, it was it would have right. been unthinkable right. in the early now, 80s. Uh, yeah. Later on, after the cassette decks, didn't Don get a Sony digital recorder? I thought yes. that's what he had. A, yeah, a he fancy like I have. He transitioned into getting a, into a, using I think DAT maybe DAT tapes. Mm -hmm. There were digital he recordings. Done that for a while, but he yeah. got the 
these little a handheld digital recorder. Maybe yeah, maybe that's what it is. Like a like a Zoom. Yeah. yeah. And then we ended up becoming you know great friends with this incredible supporter named Jerry Chomkus in Austin, Texas, who loved Over the Edge, and he ha somehow hacked into something where he was getting the satellite feed from KPFA in full fidelity stereo in Austin. I don't even know how, wow. but he reached out to Don and he became, you know, again, another unsung hero. And Jerry uh, died just a, a couple years ago. An incredible guy, incredible guy. We all loved him. Uh, but he would record the over the edge shows for Don. And then at by that point we got whole and un uninterrupted shows. The, that was the Pacifica network radio satellite feed. Yeah. And back then the feeds weren't encrypted. So he found the right frequency, tuned in on it and was able to record it. Mm. So yeah, he, he was basically doing something you're not supposed to do, but he was like doing jamming it, like, yeah, <laughs> to, to help us out. And uh, so Don then started actually we sell we started selling uh, cassettes of, of of radio shows to people. There's a whole era of that where you could mail order because uh, duped Don would dupe the cassettes from you. Oh yeah. Uh, for, I mean, sorry for you. Mm -hmm. uh, that happened, and of course we when CDs came along, for, that was like the perfect format for putting out over the edge CDs. You know, uh, so there's a whole series of those we've put out over the years. I think ten uh, CDs all edited from over the edge radio shows. The over the edge. Mm -hmm. Volumes one through, well, there's volume one and a half. Right. Because, yeah, because uh, because the starting line that you were asking about was on side two of JamCon when it was a cassette. When we went to do it as a CD, we expanded JamCon 84 and we added in the Negative Land Stockholders Picnic and the Body English Show, which is a show of us in real time. With a, It took 11 people and a lot of rehearsing and scripting and everything. We did a live simulcast covering literally covering Pre president ronald reagan's inaugural address in 1984 and and yeah. if you listen to that i just listened to that actually just yesterday for the first time in so long i don't even know how we did it because it's live it, it reagan really is talking we're talking over him we're going to different locations with the sound effects we have the director we i mean there's Everything you're hearing that's happening is live. And a lot of those news reports that are in it are actual real news people who work for KPFA that we talked into helping us out with the show. And the whole idea was that you never get to hear Reagan talk by himself. We're talking over him because that's how media is always telling you what to think about everything. And, how, and so we, we literally covered it, except for one moment when we do an instant replay. We were recording the whole thing. We had to do an instant. We somehow did an instant replay. But I just looked at the credits, and there was eleven of us. We spent all night setting up. We we came into KPFA like at you know at three in the morning, and we're setting up all night to be able to go on the air live at nine a.m. because we had you know again it had to be live, and and we had to do it and not screw up. That's funny. The main thing I remember about that show is listening to the NPR time signal. Yeah, you know that tick tick tick. Kind of like WWV, only it was just on, on their satellite feed. Well, do you remember what – I'm trying to even remember what I did because I must have been queuing up sound effects or – I can't even remember what role I played because there was there was so many different uh, 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 balls in the air to make that thing happen. Do you remember what – No, happened? I can't. That, yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't all that interested in that sort of material. That's just, just, that's just me. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was actually really 
it's funny to forget about something like that that you work so hard on. And I was sort of, I was kind of startled. And, and I, was, I was like, wow, we, 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 I don't know if people listening to this are going to have any idea what was going on to, to, you know, just a bunch of, you know, this, we were trying to make it sound professional. It's a bit shambolic in a way that I like. Mm -hmm. And part of the whole idea was that one of the, the guy you hear acting as sort of the director, you sort of hear someone uh, on a speaker telling cue, telling the cues. It's as if you're hearing the behind the scenes switching from location to location and queuing up different things. But that effectively was our cues. Like we realized, well, we're going to incorporate all the cues. Like the, the behind the scenes person who's directing the whole thing actually is going to be, you'll hear him on the air. And that'll be a great, that'll be fun as well to do. So. Yeah, I like those little cue tones. That was fun. Yeah, they're great. And that's his name was John Weaver, <laughs> who went on to actually work for NPR for many years. I, you know, one of the most impressive things for me, especially watching the the documentary, is the fact that you and you referenced this, Mark, that Don never lost his enthusiasm for the show. Yeah, he he, the the way I described it, well, this is just speaking for myself, is that if you gave me a can of blue paint, and I'd say and a red and red paint, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to make a blue painting all right, now I'm done. I made a blue painting. That was fun. Now I'm going to make a red painting. That's how my brain works. Don could take the blue paint and say, I'm going to make 34 years of different paintings with the color blue. <laughs> and I'm going to remain interested and find nuances and things to do and, and endlessly. And, and that was a both... I think for both of us, it caused... You know, that was a source of sometimes stress for both between he and I and how we work together, but also it was our, you know, it was different strengths that we each had um, in some way. So Don had a kind of a, I mean, Don grew up in Keene, New Hampshire, and he, he was born in 1945. And I really think he had a different era and a very New england from what I've come to understand, he had a very New england like rock solid work ethic, you know, that a bunch of Californians don't have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so he he just stuck to it, and uh, and I think for me, you know, after the thousandth time I've I've turned a record off on the air live and played it backwards, I start to feel like I've run out of ideas of what to do with it. Right. Um, you know, so I did the show less frequently, and then of course I I moved away. So I did the show when I came back to visit the Bay Area. But you know, Don, and as Don got better and better and better at doing it. Don grew to the point where he could actually do shows by himself that were really very, very good. I think in early days that wasn't possible, but he eventually, you know, became such a master of mixing, transitioning, and and how he used those cart machines. And then we use them on stage. Don would have three or four cart machines and stacks and stacks of the carts that he used. Uh, so all the live cut-up vocals that you would hear on our live performances were the cut up was being done live by, by Don. We weren't using samplers. We weren't using computers and we were able to do something that was very, very, very live, very improvisational. Mm. Um, and as the years went by, of course, I think younger people coming to our performances would just be mystified by this now dead, long dead technology. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then after Don yeah. died, we of course put out, uh, what is the, put out an over the edge release that had been created while Don was alive, that was called the Chopping Channel. And it was about the commodification of everything, including our bodies and our bodily fluids, and that everything could be sold and everything's for sale. So that after Don died, 
we realized conceptually it made perfect sense that we should give away his ashes in little baggies that would come with every CD you got. And that because the, the cart machine technology, we also realized that his artistry and his brilliance of how he used it had died with him. Mm -hmm. That, you know, when we're doing it now, uh, John's on stage using lots of iPads to do lots of live, and he's doing it very live too. He, he, you know, he's, he's taking the inspiration from how John, do it, but John did it, but um, it's still very live. But, um, but we realized that we wanted to share the carts, literally share them with all the people who enjoy our work. So when you ordered the Chopping Channels CD, and we sold it for a normal price. I mean, we considered the, the, we considered the, the ashes and the carts to just be a gift. We didn't want to jack it up to some crazy you know, like it's a hundred dollars because it comes with the guy's real ashes. Right. We, we thought that was just morally and ethically and philosophically wrong. But we also thought that in a, the transgressiveness, the sort of the, the un, maybe uncomfortableness or strangeness of that we were actually giving away John's real ashes. We did a thousand. We, we were able to divide up his seven pounds of ashes into a thousand uh, little baggies, which I had to put all those in, which was an interesting experience. Uh, hand, hand. You know, bagging your friend for for days and days no kidding. but yeah so we gave those all away so don is distributed all over the globe that's amazing and yeah and we we felt we did it too because it, it made conceptual sense but also we all felt absolutely sure all of us that don would have loved it mm -hmm. he would have loved the idea if there was anyone in our group who was always pushing it trying to break boundaries be transgressive not be afraid of making people uncomfortable with things we were doing that, that had a fearlessness to him. If there's anyone in our group who was embodied that, it was Don, for sure. So we felt like it was actually really honoring him in a very authentic way. I want to ask a little bit about what you're doing now. So you've got a lot going on. I want to ask you about Ryan Worsley's documentary and also her concert film. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, so Ryan is someone we've now worked with her I was it going on eight or nine? It's a it's a lot longer than I thought. You know, when you get older, time just sort of time passes differently. But uh, yeah, Ryan is just is in our mind just a, a genius uh, editor, and and just the way she has absorbed what we do and gets what we do, we we trust her implicitly. And she's been she was following us around filming our show. She's made a bunch of music videos. She made the documentary How Radio Isn't Done, all about Don Joyce that you've been referring to in this interview. And she ended up making a, a, a concert film uh, documenting Negative Lands collaborations with the visual uh, kind of live animation artist Sue C, who is someone we've just been so honored to work with um, in the last uh, three, three or four years. And so she made a concert film that's called It's Normal for Some Things to Come to Your Attention, which which really does an effective job, I think, of conveying what our what our performances are like with Sue, in, 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 all of us together. And um, uh, it does not, well, however, have the encores I, that we I did with David. I gotta go cough. Uh-oh, David has to cough. Okay. I used to want to mess up the audio. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening at home, the weatherman has left the, left the viewing screen <laughs> and is going to cough in his other room. I heard that. I'm coming back. I think my throat's cleared. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, the weatherman is returning back, entering the viewing box here on the on the multi-channeled uh, Unimedia uh, visual, visual console. Yeah, what it what what I mean, the thing is, what is our laptops? What are we doing right now? What is it? What is a computer but something that allows you to cut and paste and and interact in these new ways? And so, it's it's remarkable that in 1981. 
you know, Don came up with a, a, a term for a meet, an alternative technology, an imaginary science fiction technology media that used the word netweb in it. <laughs> so, how, I mean, that to me is just, uh, that, that's, that's someone whose antenna is way, way out there picking up signals from the future. No kidding. Yeah. You know I mean, for real, you know, and I, and I do think that's, that is something that, you know, some artists end up doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, Ryan, who we adore and is brilliant is she, she has, yeah, she's made these music videos uh, work, working with us. Um, the concert film that uh, about our collaborations with Susie, the documentary about Don Joyce, how radio isn't done. And now she's uh, finished up a film called Stand By for Failure, which is actually a documentary about negative land, but especially it's about uh, the weatherman. Really, you know, who, who I can understand uh, having, uh, you know, I've been friends with David since I was 16 or 17 years old. He is, he is currently having, we've lost Richard, we've lost Ian, we've lost uh, Don, they, they're all dead. And so, da da yes, David, who I, I dearly love, is, is, is my oldest living friend and who still surprises me to this day. And, uh, and so I'm not surprised that, that Ryan was inspired to, to make the, I think the through line for Ryan's new documentary is very much uh, the weatherman recording his family, his family tapes, and just his whole perspective on, on uh, how he takes the world around him and, and makes uh, it a just, new thing. Just remember, failure is imminent. Is imminent. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have what we, oh, there's a, yeah, there's a record. Sorry, I never, it's funny, I never think to do the normal, what's the normal PR stuff you're supposed to do when you're doing interviews? <laughs> It shows you. It shows you how focused we are on on on, on profit and money and right. filling our coffers exactly. being filled That's with so gold obvious. and rubies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's a great way to make a living being mm -hmm. in this group. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've actually the newest release we're putting out is coming out. Hopefully, it's on a barge coming from uh, the pressing plant in the Czech Republic now. But we'll see. It's called Speech Free recorded music for film, radio, internet, and television. And it is a dramatic re-envisioning of all the music on our last uh, two record albums with all the voices and cut up stuff and David's voices and everything is gone. Yeah. But it's not just that they're gone. The, the record has been so dramatically uh, sort of rethought and, and, and mixed differently and that for, to my ears, when I hear it, it's like a brand, it's like 90, percent i experience it as a brand new recording and um we decided that we liked this direction we just thought this was a very interesting way of re of presenting the work it's also we like to do things that surprise ourselves and we hope surprise people who follow us we've never put out a record that's a fully instrumental record in the way that this one is um Death Sentences of a Polished Structurally Weak which came out in 2002 is i guess is also instrumental it's a noise it's very noise, very much a noise record, and I'd say Speech Free is very much a very musical record in the more conventional way people define uh, music. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, and so that's coming just out too. One thing, remember, I'm not a musician. Yes, and remember, the weatherman is, as he likes to remind all of us, <laughs> you darn. <laughs> he reminds me of this about I don't know. We talk every few days, so you know it's 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 uh, he's and still, I. I think I tell you that uh, every time we talk. Yeah, just about. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're consistent that way. Yes. It looks like It's All in Your Head is going to be reissued as well. Oh, yeah. Boy, you're in paying attention. Well, yes. And uh, 
basically it's all in your head's been out of print. And that that's the project we did that it's based. It's also based on live performances where we kind of took over the edge and performed it on stage. We did a 35 uh, live shows and we created a sort of a studio album out of the live recordings, but it's all in your head really is documenting what we could do live. I mean, it actually is what we could pull off mixing together live and, um, it came packaged inside of a, of a Bible, a real Bible. And, uh, it, it kind of, it's, we're super do it yourselfers. Our cash flow is very limited. So that thing kind of ended up going out of print. It's a lot of work to package them and, and a lot of money to get it back in print. But we finally are doing that. And, uh, one of the, one of the stumbling blocks was that the, CD pressing plant who made the original CDs went out of business and the new plant that I found to work with was in wanted you know wanted us to sign because we're our own record label right Sealand right. Records they wanted us to sign a form uh, saying that that there either were no samples on the record or that if there were they've all been cleared <laughs> well that record if you've heard it is wall to wall other people's music playing you know layered into the mix of everything we're doing mm -hmm. and even if you don't recognize what we're playing it's obvious it's not us playing it mm -hmm. and um so at this point we just it was just wasn't a fight i just i personally was like ah I just want to get the fucking record back out. Let's just sign the form and say there's no samples on it. You're fine. Maybe you know, maybe they just some lawyer. It's just some liability thing where they're covering their ass. If we, as long as we've signed it, they don't care. I don't know. Right. So, the, but if anyone listens to this, we could be fucked. And and so, <laughs> I we weren't about to spend the money on reprinting the inserts, make remaking the stickers, getting the bags, getting the getting the getting the, uh, the, or the, the, uh, getting the Bibles. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, all of it, I, I said, let's, let's see, let's send them, you know, they could actually duplicate it from the data on the original CDs. So let's send them the original CDs and hope that what they do is they never listen to it. They just strip the data off, burn a new ma master thing to press more CDs and they never even deal, you know, they don't, they don't ever listen to what the thing actually is. And so, a few weeks ago, the CDs actually arrived on my porch here. So as soon as that happened, I contacted uh, Dollar Tree to order 1,100 Bibles. <laughs> Best to order the make sure the CDs are on your porch before the before you put yes, in that Bible I'm not order. Not going to buy the Bibles <laughs> until the CDs are here. And the woman, the saleswoman on the phone, who who of course assumed. I mean, why would anyone order over a thousand right. Bibles unless they're on a mission? Well, of course, in our own way, we you're are. On a mission, all right. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so she spent like the next forty minutes trying to help me and talk to supervisors, and she went she went so above and beyond the call of duty to get me a discount. She got us a 40% discount on the shipping. Oh, wow. <laughs> because yeah, she was, she was helping us, you know, spread the word there. Um, yeah. So that was incredible. And in fact, I asked if she had like an email for her supervisor or something. I said, I want to write a letter commending you for everything you've done and thanking you by name, you know, so that your supervisor knows it was you, mm -hmm. you know, can I do that? And she, she said, sure. Amazing. So yes, yeah, so I actually, <laughs> I actually did. I did write and send that email. Good to for Dollar you. Tree. That's great. Yes. Well, you know, she was, 
I just had to never, you know, never quite explain what was really going on. What I don't understand is why Twitter thought that that video we made was violating their rules. I thought maybe someone, some religious person complained to them. Yes, we, we put out a tweet that had some information about the Bibles arriving, and it got uh, censored. But we've since learned that since Mr. Musk mm-hmm. uh, commandeered uh, Twitter, if you're hearing this in the future, who knows if it even exists by now. But um, <laughs> But yeah, but but people were having their pages censored and things shut down with claims that the claim was that you were sharing inappropriate sexual content that belonged to someone else, like you were violating someone's privacy by sharing some intimate uh, uh, video or, or pictures. It, it, it wasn't even. What the even hell does that have to do with Bibles? Yes, that's a good question. But yeah. but I've since I've since talked to other people who've and I've seen even some. Uh, some things, and you know, I, I did a little search online, and it looked yeah. like, yep, they're they've had two thirds of their staff are gone. They don't yeah. have the people there to monitor content, and obviously, if things go wrong, there's nobody there to to uh, fix it. So we got we got musked, yeah, <laughs> uh, musked. Oh, I just thought of something, and I say this real quick, of and course. you can insert it the the name that Don had on that show that was so good, that the turkey bowl that you called it? Yes. His name was Bud Choke. <laughs> Just well, Bud Choke, oh, right. And Bud <laughs> Choke is the host of the Chopping Channel, which is yeah. the best thing that right. Don's on. That we, that, I mean, Don's <laughs> on when he's alive. I should add, you know, again, I don't know how much of this you're, you're going to want to use, but I should add that due to the way we work by collaging with things, and remember, I talked about we have this giant archive, right? Mm-hmm. So even though Don is no longer with the living, Don is on our last uh, three records and in our live shows just as much, and I mean just as much as if he was alive. So we're collaging with all these things that we've um we've digitized that are from our old archives of over the edge going back to the early 80s stuff that never showed up on any of our records or never showed up in live shows and we're getting to use them so it it is a little eerie at times but it's also there's something that's very very been very profound and meaningful for us because it really feels like he's still there you know contributing to what we're making um in fact there's a whole bunch of boxes of stuff that we haven't even transferred that we're going to have uh uh, some other extended members of the Negative Land family, Tim Maloney and Taylor Jessen, who are amazing. In fact, I should a shout out to Tim Maloney, who's the guy who single-handedly spent literally years transferring all the cassettes of old Over the Edge shows that had not been digitized. So, I mean, unbelievable. And Taylor uh, digitized all the old Don Joyce archive tapes from Over the Edge shows and live shows. I mean, you know, again, you know, sort of it's it's the it takes a village kind of thing to a village, village of land. <laughs> one, one more thing, uh, Taylor digitized uh, a whole load of my eight millimeter videotapes of my family. Yes, mm. I think t- over what twenty, over twenty one, hours. Two thirds of the tapes. There was yeah. a lot of tapes. I only put what I thought was the best ones on my blog, and then that was given to Ryan, and she had to go through you know uh, unbelievable amount of footage to cherry pick out little bits that could work in her new documentary. Right. So, yeah. So it's um, yeah. And I should say about her film, we're very very excited about it because it really is. It is a collage about a group who does collage. I mean, it very much is an example of what it's about. 
Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it is, it feels to us like its own work of art that Ryan has made. And as I said, you know, it's, it's her movie. I mean, it is, it is her, it is her film, but we just, it's, it's rare to meet somebody where you really just can trust them like that in a creative way. And we really do. So, so couldn't be, couldn't be more excited. So somehow with the energy coming from, you know, we all, yeah, from, from, uh, after everyone's died, it's been very strange but the energy coming from you know, from Ryan, from Sue, the help from Taylor, from Tim, also from Jennifer Bennett, who never gets really any, any shout outs, but she runs our mail order, helps to maintain the website, helps a lot when we're having to do kind of PR stuff and figure out the the, the screen print for a new T-shirt, you know, all, all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Um, it's uh, yeah, we had to we, once we got a bunch of ladies involved, the group, the group's actually been been uh, more more functional than it's ever been. I think almost ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of, it's it kind of is a, a wonderful surprise thing because because uh, I I really, yeah. After after Ian and Donna Richard died, it, it was certainly unclear to, to me whether what the future held, you know, for Negative Land. It, as much as Don insisted that it continue, you know, I mean, he literally from his deathbed was insisting that the radio show, you know, that that if John wanted to take it over, please keep doing it and please keep doing Negative Land. That you know, it will not be the same without me, but I I want to go to my death knowing it's going to continue because it's a it it matters to me and I and I think it he felt like, you know, it it matters in some bigger picture scheme in some way. Now right. keep in mind that we got a lot of Richard's voice too from before he passed away. Oh yeah, sure, Richard. Right, and Richard has been on the projects too, and it it yeah, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel ghoulish or wrong or any, I mean it feels absolutely right that that we're that we do that mm-hmm. and so yeah so that's been that's been but there you go uh, yeah. so you, you yeah you definitely you, that was a long answer I, I apologize but <laughs> no. yeah there was a, there was a lot of stuff to I wanted I really yeah I want to be sure everyone gets their gets their uh, gets their shout outs absolutely sure. yeah yeah sorry one more shout out the another another contributing satellite member of the group Sean Wolf who who is uh, made the design for the new record speech free and it is and I can personally I, it is one of my favoriteest designs of of any of the projects we've ever worked on mm-hmm. and uh, yeah he worked a lot on the, it's all on your head as well we're just fingers crossed that the printing comes back looking as good as the digital files can't wait to see it yeah Mark David thanks so much for being on the show I really appreciate it oh you're welcome yeah very welcome and thanks for doing all that research on 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 uh, on our old weird stuff. <laughs> I feel like we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually true, yeah. but yes, that's but that's the way it is. Yeah, the understatement of the century. <laughs> God almighty. The acme of, what did you used to say? The acme of obviosity? That's it, you got it. <laughs> the acme of obviosity. All right, so cool to hear from uh, Mark and Dave, I can't help but wonder if, you know, a few decades from now, we might still be like, you know, hanging out kind of like them. Maybe we'll be like interviewed <laughs> on, so, on some like, you know, podcast. We're legends, you know, we've been friends since we were, you know, in the, in, you know, just for you and me anyways, like right after high school. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Who would want to talk to us, man? <laughs> I know. I would way rather listen to Mark and Dave. So creative. Yeah. Right? Just amazing how they found 
like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they really found each other. It's yeah. it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Ryan Worsley's excellent 2017 documentary, "How Radio Isn't Done," a few times in the interview. I can't re- recommend it enough. Uh, it was started when Don was still alive. The documentary, so he's in it. Uh, and it really shows that insane work ethic that he had in terms of planning and man- maintaining the show mm-hmm. and how he never lost his passion for it. Such a monumental body of work. Uh, the other members referred to him as by far the most pro- prolific member of the group. Uh, sadly, it documents his declining health in the film. Uh, he, he talks in the film about how the show provided instant gratification based on you know, immediate, immediate audience reaction as opposed to releasing albums, which he, he didn't enjoy as much, partly because of the length of time it would take to, to get them released. I could have this wrong, Ryan, but it, it really, to me, shows the two sides of the Negative Land Collective, if I can call them that, like the, the album and live show side, and then the Over the Edge side, which, you know, like Over the Edge was essentially live performances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it's ju- it just wasn't on stage, right? Yeah, that's right. And and the two kind of bled into each other pretty significantly. Like Don would bring his carts to the live shows and, um, and uh, you know, it just wasn't his passion, you know. And, and, and they would take ideas, right? Like I think uh, Mark refers to the, li- to the Over the Edge show as the laboratory. Yeah. <laughs> on, on, in the interview. And the other members of the group would also do the show from time to time with Don, but it was totally Don's baby. Um, they've released 10 physical versions of over the, over the edge sessions, like on CD. Mm -hmm. And we'll be seeing at least three more on the show. Um, they also, uh, used ideas that came out of the show on albums outside of the, over the, over the edge series. And, I, and of course, there's the Over the Edge ar- Archive, which has over a thousand episodes. Uh, maybe a good place to start, if you haven't checked any out, is episodes 263 and 264. That's A Weatherman's Christmas <laughs> and, a, and A Weatherman's New Year. I haven't checked them out, but I'm going to over the Christmas holidays. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they sound festive. Yeah. Uh, Don says in the documentary, sometimes you th- you think, what it what's it worth? Is it worth all the work? Uh, and I like this. He says, you mostly just do it because you can't not do it. Mm-hmm. An idea comes to you or raw material comes to you that you can't resist using, messing with, or changing. It's like your approach to life. Spoken like the true artist that he was, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and they, in the documentary, they show several of these guys' workspaces and like their homes. Dude, like the sheer volume of archive material just boggles the mind. So where did you see the documentary? I bought it online. You can buy it on like yeah? Vimeo, I think, or something. If you Google it, you'll find it. Okay. Yep. Uh, same core group, Ryan, as we saw on Escape from Noise. Should probably mention the names here. Don Joyce, uh, and he's listed as Over the Edge Producer, Tapes, Records, CB, Razor Blade, Mix. David Wills, Telephone, Voice, Scanner, Booper, Tapes. Mark Hosler, Guitar, Bass, Voice, Razor Blade, Mix. Richard Lyons, Voice, Chris Grigg, Guitar and Keyboard, Ian Allen, 
tapes and keyboard. And I'm almost certain, Ryan, this is the last negative land release where we get to see the the members of the band. Mm. They stopped doing that. Um, recorded in May of 1984 and October of 85. Originally released as Sealand 004. So SST reissued this on cassette only in 1988. Uh, first released by the band, as I said, on Sealand in 86 on cassette, apparently in conjunction or at least manufactured by uh, Cause and Effect, a cassette only label and distributor based out of Minneapolis. They had quite an interesting discography uh, of experimental releases, some of which you can check out on a Bandcamp page that they have. The liner notes on the insert of the Sealand release say the Jamcon side is edited from a five-hour broadcast, um, but they don't give a date for that one. They do for the B-side, October of 85, from a three-hour broadcast. I checked the archive, and there's a a four-and-a-half-hour version of Jamcon 84 posted. The date on there is listed as, as October 8th, 84. Doesn't look like the original version of the starting line, that's the, the B-side of the tape, is posted, but there there is one from 1994 on the archive that uses the original tapes from the starting line episode. Uh, so just, you know, take some time to scroll around the over-the-edge archive. It's truly mind-blowing. Yeah. This was also reissued on CD by the band in 1994, and it's still in print. Uh, it's for sale on their website for 12 bucks. It's interesting because they didn't include the starting line on the CD version on the reissue. They instead chose Negative Land's 4th of July all-night stockholders picnic, which is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and also the Body English, which is uh, the broadcast Mark and David talk a bit about in the interview, which revolved around them covering Reagan's inaugural address at the start of his second term. I can see why they chose to put these on on the the CD version instead of the starting line. Thematically, they work they work better with Jamcon '84, I would say. Mm, yeah, I mean, it works okay on cassette, I guess, right? Because yeah. there's that, such a drastic difference when you flip the side of the cassette. When I listen to it, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I checked, and the entire um, CD reissue of Jamcon '84 is also streaming, like on Spotify, etc. The starting line, which is the B-side of the cassette, was actually reissued on CD in 1995 as Over the Edge Volume 1.5. Again, the add-on stuff is totally insane. They add a bunch of other stuff onto that CD reissue. Um, It it includes the Weatherman's Rototiller (laughs) sing-along, full version. (laughs) I won't even try and describe it, but you should hear it. and you can. It's also available on the band's website. It isn't available for streaming for whatever reason. Um, I think it might be the only official over-the-edge release that that isn't streaming. So mm. might be a little tougher for our listeners who don't own this uh, to to uh, to hear the the starting line. Let's check out this release, Ryan. Part two. My auto PM is pregnant. <laughs> from the past with death by prison gangs in the Dominican Republic and uh, they were accused whoa that was Charles Adler 30 minutes ahead of the rest of the country (laughs) 
Is that a, is that a ham? Is that one of the hams? Okay. Now, now what's this all about, Brent? All right, so how do we even talk about these tracks? Okay, well, I listened to it on CD, and it's broken down into kind of sections. So I kind of, oh, okay. I kind of went through it in the different sections is how I did it. Mm. Um, side one of the tape is 40 minutes, 32 seconds. It is. Yeah. Uh, Cr- Crosley Bendix starts it off. He's the host of JamCon 84. Cultural reviewer and director of stylistic premonitions for the UMN or the Universal Universal Media Netweb. He gives out a number where you can jam them at the station and also a scanner frequency. The weatherman you can hear is talking to a jammer and he's talking about how these creative young jammers are messing with what the jammer calls old timers or radio geeks. <laughs> Uh, there's some news reports about jammers uh, getting busted. And it's over top of the police song, D-Doo-Doo. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. Sp- yeah. D-Doo-Doo-Doo, D-Da-Da-Da. They yeah. played as a bit of a loop there. And it goes, and uh, they cut the lyrics to be no one's jamming, hey? Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of other stuff going on. I'm, I'm kind of just giving the highlights that I picked out. Kind of the centerpiece of this part this is kind of the jam con part. This is uh, Dr. Ted Wright interviewing jammer W6DR. Um, the liner's notes to the cassette say, thanks to Ken Hastings for his assistance in arranging for the appearance of Ted Wright, who was the only person able to get W6DR to consent to an interview. <laughs> W6DR remained hooded during the program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, he credits in the interview, interview Gary Kerr is introducing him to the fine art of jamming. He says he started off trying to, to join in with the old timers, uh, but then he got into jamming through Gary. He talks about an incident involving a jammer who was uh, interrupting his neighbor's TV viewing. Like, I guess the radio signal was going through his TV. And then the jammer, Alan Vance, ended up shooting his neighbor. Whoa. And of course, there's all kinds of craziness going on under, underneath this interview. Um, and then, yeah, smash cut to the David Gilmore out of the blue, which is right. used to spectacular effect as a, as a universal net web kind of promo. <laughs> Love that part. Uh, do you remember Do you remember getting the radio on your TV? Yep. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, like, sure. I, I remember where I grew up as a kid. I couldn't actually get the college radio station across the river on anything other than my TV. Yep, I remember that. Uh, there's some talk radio confusion where the host can hear a caller, but they can't hear hear him. Again, all types of just craziness going on in the background. The Gonzo, the Gonzo was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then we kind of go to part two, Crosley Bendix. I like this part a lot. Uh he gives today's arts review over top of this angelic church choir. Uh, he reads a piece he says is from the forthcoming album by negative bland, but I, I didn't catch the reference, I guess probably a, re- a release we haven't gotten to yet. 
But what he's really talking about is culture jamming, uh, turning strategic corporate elements back on themselves. The studio for the culture jammer is the world at large. Stuff like that. He ends it with, you can spot jam art easily. It always supersedes found content as it rearranges it, causing you to reflect on the nature of what you're actually encountering. These guys were so ahead of their time. Yeah. Like pioneers and ahead of their time, like even latching onto the net web at this time in our history, right? Like yeah. it's it's got it's got the conspiratorial vibe to it that just fits the negative land collective so well. Yeah. Okay, then we go to part three. Uh, this is the part with some callers, a.k.a. receptacle programming, uh, specifically the lady complaining about mind jamming. <laughs> <laughs> this has to be the worst programming I've heard on KPFA ever. <laughs> uh, she prefers the program Music from the Hearts of Space because it's not like six, seven, or eight channels all coming in at the same time, she says. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Vaughn gets a mention by the weatherman. Uh, then they cut to Rex Everything, a.k.a. Mark Hosler, in the screening room at JamCon 84. A highlight of the convention to find out about the latest jamming techniques, but then it never happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, part four is the part with C. Elliott Friday's presidential campaign, shortwave broadcast, uh, live from Howland Island, which is the secret retreat he lives on. I didn't ask, but I'm pretty sure C. Elliott Friday was Don Joyce as well. I, I kept thinking of the central scrutinizer. Yeah, during oh, that for, part. Sure, for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. Part five kind of is uh, the weather, weatherman. He's giving someone a tour of the studio gear. Some recordings of sounds like the weatherman talking to some jammers. <laughs> One of who's called the rooster, which is just such a classic radio handle. Oh yeah. Uh, you can hear Mickey. That's the guy who would talk like Mickey Mouse and do a super annoying laugh. Probably you know when they're jamming people. Uh huh. <laughs> I you know I'm assuming he was doing that and jamming the old timers, like these dudes just like trying to enjoy their hobby of talking to each other and some asshole. It's like, <laughs> uh, they go back to cultural attache wrecks everything. And then there's this huge jam con 84 sign off. And that's the end of side one. And, and again, I'll throw to the listeners, like, you know, let us know interesting references that we missed or like, you know, Oh, there's so many. I know. Yeah. Uh, side two is uh, called The Starting Line with Dick Goodbody, and it's 38 minutes, 35 seconds. The cassette says, Conceived and performed by Dick and Negative Land, edited from a three-hour broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder I wonder how many people he amazed with his automobile. He amazed me, man. <laughs> automobile uh, trivia, man. It's like, yeah, that'd be a green one. I'm like, What? Did you catch the, the track that's being played underneath kind of the driveline theme? Uh, I don't think so, no. King Crimson, frame by frame. Oh, okay. And then we're off. Uh, Dick Goodbody for the driveline, live from Dick's Auto Hive in Central Contra Costa. Join Dick for your chance to drag his mechanical brain. <laughs> Upgrade with your highly vehicular situations. 
he's a renowned expert on automo- automobile trivia. Uh, Dick Goodbody is. People are, people are calling in and challenging him to describe the grill like on various vehicles, and he's kind of astounding them with his knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Even like local trivia winners. Oh, hey? yeah. Yeah, he's really impressing the callers. The One guy says, this isn't an ESP show, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I like the part where, uh, what is it? Why is it a Model T? Oh, yeah. To get to the other side? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he hangs up on the weatherman. That's a cool part. And then someone goes, you know your cars? And he goes, yeah, well, it's my business. <laughs> and then we go over to Dick calling into another show to talk about, he's talking about his call-in show. Uh, the song underneath this part is 12 O'Clock by Vangelis, which uh, was the theme song for Over the Edge. Uh, Richard is a, co- a contestant on this show that he's calling into for music trivia. Then we go over to Richard's trivia show, Stir the Stumps, brought to brought to you by Cowerman's Floor Mats, the ones to step on. And there's uh, celebrity imp- opponents. And uh, now this is my assumption, total guess, but this Daryl Garrison sounds like he was possibly a champion on the trivia yeah. show that Richard was just calling into right. on KFRC in San Francisco. Sounds like the pyramid. Yeah. Like he was on the local version of the pyramid. Yeah. And he was like winning it. Yeah. And then his opponent, his <laughs> opponent is the weatherman. <laughs> and then the, the premise of stir the stumps is the people calling in are asking the questions related to driving and cars. There's some serious calls, some crank calls. I, I like Richard's quick witted pun about uh, Maxwell coffee. That's pretty awesome. Uh, that part's cool. And then it shifts, uh, it says it's shifting into reciprocal programming mode. Uh, we get some classic Neil Young, Let It Shine from his Long May You Run album with uh, Stephen Stills. This part's cool. A bunch of different models of cars kind of being announced by someone with, you know, just this cool mix of sounds. Uh, then we get some more trivia. Mickey phones in again. Uh, Richard actually has a, a good radio vo- voice and he really knows cars. Like I feel... I feel like he could have done a legit radio trivia show on cars. Yeah, or like a, you know, uh, mechanic advice. Yeah, exactly. Show, right, yeah. right. Like you know, I've got this, I've got this sound yeah. in the the you know on the driver's side rear wheel on my '56 Studebaker, and he'd be like, "Oh, well, you gotta get yourself, you know, a five eighths." you know, wrench yeah. <laughs> and go in and tighten the Johnson rod, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not to suggest that, you know, over the edge isn't a legit show, but obviously they're fucking around and there's sound effects and other stuff going on in the background. The categories for the, for the trivia are hilarious. Cheaper cheese, limousines of Pope Paul the seventh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next part I believe is a sample or whatever you want to call it, a found sound of a CEO for Chevy giving a speech at like a convention or something. Of course, it's negative land, so it's manipulated, and and that's the end of the starting line. That's good. Yeah. The cassette is cool, three-panel fold-out. You got a, a spiel from Crosley Bendix, urging yeah. you, among other things, to shove this tape in your gaping cassette cavity. <laughs> Enter the unsuspected world, underworld of American independence, the world of the jammer. I love the, uh, 
the typeface for the word negative land. Oh, it's yeah. got that. It's got that dot matrix pixelated 80s computer look. Oh, yeah. You know, they did that on a Commodore 64 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. The Universal uh, Media NetWeb logo. It's great, hey? Yep. It kind of looks like a man made out of magnets. <laughs> right? Yep. It does. It does. It looks like a magnet guy. Cover graphics by Mark Hosler with Chris Gregg. Angry face by Don Joyce. I guess that angry face is like an old timer, like a radio geek, getting jammed and getting pissed off. Kind of. It has like a tiki look to me, but I think you're probably right. Yeah. And that line across, right, is like the the interference. Yeah. I'm thinking. Ballot result? Do we dare? <laughs> Certain men always get their way in the end. <laughs> <laughs> that situation happened where you thought you had a friend on the other side it's 12 degrees overnight 30 okay and did you did i hear you right you're making about twenty thousand. We're okay to get. I think we're okay to like, get. We're okay. Back at the ballot result. Back no, at the ballot how much time did you spend working on this? For, for <laughs> people can't see this, but every time like there's a sample of somebody saying something, I Ryan is mouthing the words. <laughs> no, <laughs> you were man. I saw no it. No way. No way. Yeah. No way. All right. So how do we pick a ballot result? Well, I. So I. It's again, tough for I, me. Again, going off the CD. You know, I kind of picked two of the smaller ones, like the shorter ones. Okay. Uh, I like part three of the starting line with the Neil clip because it's kind of got a bit of everything that, that Negative Land does. But I was thinking um, the Crosley Bendix reviews jam art and cultural jamming. That's the name of the track on the CD. It's the it's that part where there's that choir and, and it's uh, Don Joyce kind of talking about uh, culture jamming. Yeah. No, that'd be good. Kind of a tribute to Don, and it and it you know sums up the group ethos, I think. Yeah, and it to Mark and Dave's point during the interview, I mean, they kind of in, invented the term, yeah. and now it's like it is an academic concept. Yeah. So let's educate folks on our mixtape <laughs> that no one's ever going to hear. Shh. <laughs> Not so sure about that. <laughs> I whipped out all my tape decks this week. Yeah. Ooh, that was a fun episode, man. Thanks to Mark and the Weatherman. Really could not do this justice. And I, if we even did, you know, at all without their assistance, you know. I yeah. feel like there are Negative Land mega fans listening to this just going, you two idiots just missed so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to understand, like, you're, you're, if you're going to be a mega fan, I mean, you are full in and there's just no way that we can be full into the entire depth of negative land in a one week show. But we try our best and it is a huge honor. And I you and I both when we were kids 
um, really like to do stuff like this. Oh yeah, man. I, I made <laughs> nothing on this level, but I would like make stuff with my tape decks, you know, like tape collage. Oh, I know. Yeah. And I, and I guess like, that's, that's part of why I love this. Like when I was doing that, I had no idea that negative land existed. Yeah. And the fact that negative land did exist, there's this huge archive. I think I said this on episode 133. I hope there are new negative lands out there because the amazing stuff that you could do now with the technology or maybe not like do it with the old technology. Yeah. Um, there could be some amazing art, some some great subversive art. Man, we need more subversive art out there. Yeah. Um, like wow, something that makes you, something that makes you think, something that questions the mainstream through art in a subversive, culture jamming way. We need more of that. Yeah. There's three more over the edge releases, Ryan. They all came out in eighty nine ninety, but for whatever reason, their catalog in the in the nine hundreds. So like they're in the they're in the nines, man. So what do we do? Like end the entire Mojack series with like three over the edge episodes? Well, maybe, but I guess like <laughs> I've I told you, man. Like there are interspersed through this latter half of SST releases some catalog releases that only exist in the nines yeah. and some of them are negative land. There's like a pell-mell. There's a few. So we, we got to do the nines. I've got all of these negative land cassettes. We got to do them. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll do them at the end, I guess. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we've got a comp that, uh, I've never really listened to this one on its own just kind of the parent comp, but this one is SST 234, the mini plot three inch CD. Whoa. Yeah. And we're going to be doing our top tens and uh, unless you change your mind, I'm not going to. And we, <laughs> and you know, my top 10 already. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we have a special guest, Ryan, Kitty Carey all herself is going to be on the show. Jennifer Schwartz. Awesome. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.